0: Got, got to get some, like, actual applause. Some actual stuff, right? We're live. Me6 on the Discord is telling me that we're live. Everybody, welcome. This is Talking Guitars. Tonight, we have Jim Decola, And it is November 18th, 2022. It's 8.04 p.m. Eastern, 5.04 Pacific. And uh, if, you're, if, the, if you're brand new here, make sure to smash that subscribe button. Smash that thumbs up. Any questions or comments you have in the chat? Let us have them. Oh, more applause. And we're going to have a great time. All right, here we go. More applause. There we go. Right on. Right on. Dude. Dude. Jim DeCola. Man. I, I, I feel like... I mean... Man, I'm I'm glad this is finally happening, and thank you, thank you yeah. so much for being here. This is
1: well, we've, we've been social media friends for a few years now, and and it's nice to finally you know meet even though it's through a camera. You know, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I feel like I know you. Same same with Amanda.
0: Yeah, yeah. The internet is awesome. I yeah. love it. More <laughs> <Four> applause. <Yeah. laughs> Man, well, hey, everybody. You know this is gonna be a great show, so make sure to uh, to stick around. And hey, really quickly, real first, let's uh, my English. Let's say hello to the top tier of channel members because that's what we do here, at John and Bean TV. We have channel membership, and they are the executive producers: Stephen Franklin, Michael Smith, Music Therapy Lads, Majestic PB and J Cat, Thomas Santiago, Guitar Man Forty Five, Sherman Callahan, Thomas Santiago again, John Moronic, R Habs, David Allen Wright, Warleg, and Michael B Live. Thank you so much for your continued support for this channel, you guys. You guys are awesome. And you guys know the drill. We're live on YouTube. We're live on Facebook. We're live on Twitter. So so yeah. So Jim DeCola. Well, let let me just I, I don't know where where to start, man. I mean I've I've I mean I've been aware of, of, of your um your uh your 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 builds, your your building, you know, especially with as you were saying with the internet, social media, I mean, I've seen so much of your, your stuff, you know, over the, over the years. And, and it's just, it's just incredible.
1: incredible. The internet really is good. I mean, it brings a lot of people together, like we said, and, and it, it just shared, you know, all the information sharing is just fantastic. You know, we, we all learn a lot more and especially when you're in a passionate activity, like guitar playing and music and things like that. I mean, You know 30 years ago we didn't have this and you know it was just not it is good you know i mean here you know we can share ideas information unique instruments all sorts
0: of stuff Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and it's just incredible because i mean i i I see you on facebook all the time was that today that photo that you that you posted yeah with brad paisley yeah. yeah
1: yeah he stopped by the factory and i gave him a tour he's a very very nice guy yeah
0: oh, oh that's awesome dude yeah very cool i've seen I a mean, lot of i mean
1: i even what? have to say uh it was very cool you know it's first time i met him but it was it was almost like i knew him because he has this hobby that he developed during covid of refinishing guitars mm-hmm. and so he's like You know, has a shop in his backyard, and you know he's he's working on guitars, and he was asking a lot of really cool and insightful questions regarding a lot of that stuff. So you definitely tell that he's into it.
0: That's cool. Uh, Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's guitars are awesome. Um, Let's see. And Amanda, Amanda, welcome. Thank you. It's great, great great to see you.
2: Thank
3: you. (laughs) To add on that COVID. Like the new hobbies, I was definitely a part of that. I was like, if I have a year, I'm just gonna start building prototypes <laughs> from yeah. from my bedroom. <laughs> yeah. You
1: know that that was the upside of COVID. For one, you know, in the in the music industry, it really gave music a, a huge boom, right? Yeah. Because so many people were cooped up inside. And, and at first, you know, we were all feeling sorry for the performing artists because they couldn't play shows. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I kind of thought about it and I said, you know what, this is actually kind of good. And it kind of played out that way. I suspected since they can't play live, they're gonna have to sit down and create some music. And and luckily they, you know, the majority of artists did and now we're the benefits beneficiaries of all that. So it was a fruitful time for new music and, uh, and for bringing in a lot of new players and bringing back a lot of old players. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a huge guitar boom, uh, you know, Gibson, Fender, you know, all the companies were selling more guitars than they had in years. And, uh, and it, was, it was a really good time for that, you know. We hope it continues.
0: Oh, uh, definitely. In fact,
1: I'm in my shop and, and during the second week of shutdown, I had this idea when I saw more people posting videos, you know, sitting in front of their iPhone, playing a song and posting it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these people were people that weren't the usual suspects. And so I thought, hmm, I bet you there's going to be a lot of people like that pulling their old guitars out and they want to play. And, you know, maybe they hadn't been restrung in a while or they need some setup. So I had this idea to do this series of uh, guitar repair and maintenance videos And so I I texted some of my colleagues at Gibson and said, hey, I have this idea. They're like, well, yeah, but how are we going to do it? And I said, well, I'll just film it in my shop. You know, I think I could do it with my iPhone and edit. You know, they're like, well, if you want to do it, you know. So I think I shot like eight episodes, and uh, you know, I scripted them out, and I had to get special you know apps and things to and learn how to edit videos and all that. Mm -hmm. And and I did the first few. And, and they were really excited. And they said, well, what we're going to do is post this on our Instagram site. And uh, and then later on, when you know the pandemic lifts up, then we'll shoot it with our real film crew and put it on our website. So we did that. And after a few episodes, then I was asking our, our film people at work, like, hey, for a six to eight minute video, it's probably taken me like six to eight hours. You know, am I doing something like really, really wrong? And they're like, no, no, that's that's about it. That, you know, you're fine. So I'm like, all right, <laughs> now I know what it's like working in that end of the industry, right? Except on a very small scale. Uh, and it was a great experience, you know? So, and then at the same time, you know, I'd, I'd say, hey, you know, at Gibson, we use a six-inch ruler for action or we use whatever tool. But I tried to give everyone these like MacGyver tech tips. You know, if you don't have a six-inch rule, which most people aren't going to have you can use a dime for your action gauge at the 12th fret or a nickel on the low E side and a dime for the high E or a thin pick, hmm. you know, at your nut and so forth business uh-huh. card for your, or a sheet of paper for your neck adjustment. So it was, it was really good. And, and i I still get a lot of uh, emails and comments, uh, you know, people that are appreciative. So I, I think that was a cool thing. You know, I helped yeah. some people and it's all good. And I learned some skills too.
0: That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, dude. I mean, with with uh, you know the past couple years, everybody's on on their phones and and just learning a a lot of new stuff. And I was helping a lot of friends out actually with 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 streaming and kind of like what we're doing here and yeah and and stuff like that. And I mean, it's it's a great it's a great skill to have regardless whatever you do, you know.
1: Yeah, when I first started which was uh 43 years now uh we didn't have smartphones we didn't you know just taking a photograph of a guitar you built was like a, you know you know it cost a little money to get that film and get it that film developed and wasn't yeah. as easy now you just shoot off dozens and dozens of photos of anything you know delete them later if you need to
2: yeah so,
1: you know, oh. it, the whole industry and uh you know from manufacturing or music you know it's, it's just ever-changing
0: Mm-hmm. yeah it's amazing the future the future is awesome it is. um man so so we, we've got some questions we've got some questions for jim in the chat if you guys have questions um you can you can drop in the chat jim can see the uh the chat and by the way let's see let's let's give some some uh some quick shout outs here we got jeremy hefner do you know jeremy
1: jim i know jeremy through social
0: do yeah. he's a he's a Big, big uh, PV Wolfgang fan. Yeah, huge, huge. Look at that. Jeremy Hefner is here. We got Wayne. Wayne Furman Furman is here on on Facebook. Yes, we got Facebook. We got YouTube. 0812 was here. Janice Lala, Holly Lewis, you met, Donald you Young, uh, David Wright, and, and you know I know David. He
1: lives
0: in the next still. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, he's a great dude. I've had him on on my shows here. Uh well, it's been several years, but a lot of he's he's been on a lot of times and and talk about knowledge. That yeah. guy, man.
1: <laughs> it's it's funny, you know, some of these people they have uh so much knowledge of the guitar, uh you know, like the Wolfgang and and, and let me preface this with while I was in charge of that project, you know, for 5 years or a little longer at PV you know, we'd have a stack of blueprints, you know, and they were all my blueprints. And I could tell you every single dimension on every single blueprint from memory. I mean, there wasn't anything. Anyone could ask me, what's the dimension for this? And I could tell them without looking at a blueprint. Then years passed and people will come to me and say, Hey, did you ever make like a, a hard tail Wolfgang special? And I'm like, I don't know, and then someone will come up. Yeah, you did. You did. Like, I can't remember that. So it's kind of funny. Some things you forget.
0: Yeah, yeah, and man, I don't. Just amazing, amazing. We got uh, Alan Garber in the chat. I don't know, if you know Alan from. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. From, from social. Um, Rob Johnson, another good friend of mine. Absolutely. A lot, a lot of these guys, huge fans of these guitars, Jim. I mean, I'm sure you, you know, know from from names. from Facebook and stuff. But yeah, people they love this stuff, and it's it's just it's just amazing. Um, but uh, yeah. So I don't know. So we've got some questions, Amanda. I don't know if we want to want to yeah. start with some of those.
3: Yeah. All right. First question here was was uh. Was guitar your first instrument? And if so, what age did you start playing?
1: It was uh, my first real instrument. Yeah, my dad was a trumpet player, although he played other instruments too, but that was his primary. And uh, I grew up around music, you know, through him and I had an older brother and sister. My brother was 10 years older, and my sister five years older. So I was influenced by them and my dad. And uh, there was always instruments around to doodle with, but it was it was really guitar. That was it and i was 15 when i started and i remembered my brother when he was 18 and i was 8 telling me jimmy look at me i'm too old you need to start playing guitar and i look back on it now you know eric clapton was 17 when he started you know my brother could have started when he was 18 you know there's no age rule when you should start mm-hmm. if you retire and you you're looking for something to do pick up guitar you're not too old you mm-hmm. know just have I- fun
0: with it that's a
1: great yeah, point. Yeah, guitar man. was my, my first. I wanted to play. Now here's a funny one. I wanted to play trumpet because my dad was a trumpet player, right? Mm-hmm. So in fifth grade music class, at the end of the year, we signed up to take, you know, music classes for junior high to sign up for the band. And my fifth grade music teacher, who shall remain nameless, said, No, you're not cut out to play music. You You're not made for that. You're not going to play. I'm not going to let you sign up for any instrument. She didn't like me. Hard to believe, but I was a long hair at one time. So in fifth (laughs) grade, I had shoulder length, blonde hair. I wore a denim jacket with Mr. Natural on one patch and Sergeant Pepper on the other and American flag on the back. So I was a little hippie and she didn't like me. And then she didn't like the fact that I couldn't remember all the lyrics to the Star Spangled Banner. So she made me write them three times. So I thought, ah, I know what to do. So I used the technology from the day, carbon paper. So she said, ah, carbon paper. Now you can write them seven times. So then I had to write them seven times. And I think that's where she developed her uh, uh, aversion towards me. You know, So when it came time to signing up for junior high music, she said, nope, you're not cut out for music. So then I was like, yeah, I guess I'm not. And then, uh, and then finally, you know, I had a lot of friends who were playing guitar, and and I thought, you know, I'm going to play guitar. So, uh, so it was good, you know, and I'm glad I did, obviously.
0: Hmm. So, so who who were your uh, your influences on the guitar, and like what 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 type of music did were you first into?
1: Well, you know, being that I had my older brother and sister, I was definitely influenced of you know the rock of the day, you know, so. It was Beatles and Stones and Cream and Hendrix and Zeppelin and, uh, you know, all that, you know, just the classic rock, you know, from that era. And, uh, and that's really, you know, I mean, I'm 59 and uh, I can remember when, when Pepper came out, even before I was really serious, it, Pepper came out June, beginning of June in 67 uh, and I was four years old. And my sister was babysitting me and my younger sister. And we went down the block to her friend and her friend had this tent in the backyard and an extension cord going from the house to the tent. And so, you know, you're four years old and you're like, wow, what is this? You know, something, it looks serious. So we get in the tent and she has one of those suitcase phonographs and she got Sergeant Pepper. It just came out like the day
2: before. So she puts
1: that Sergeant Pepper record on and I could remember it like it was yesterday and then we're looking at the cover and they're explaining, well, that's the old Beatles and that's the new Beatles. And, you know, I'm balling cause I thought they died and they replaced them with some new people. Wow. You know, <laughs> well, they replaced play. Paul. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was a, all his dead rumors. Yeah. So, uh, so really, you know, I have to say after all these years, that's still my favorite album and my favorite band, you know, it's, it, it just made, I guess that's when my melodic center was formed, you know, And so, uh, so I I gravitate towards that, but then you get older and your tastes change and you get more diverse and, uh, and then there's certain things you listen to certain times, other things you listen to other times, you know? So I do like all kinds of music, uh, but I always, if, if you're asking me for my one thing, it's, it's usually the Beatles, you know, that's, that was like the most important growing up. Oh, right on,
0: man. Right on. Yeah. Did, did you happen to catch that, that special that was on, was it on Disney?
1: Yeah. Was get it? Or, back.
0: Get back, yeah.
1: Yeah. It was fantastic. And being such a hardcore Beatle fan, I, I read everything I can, uh, but there's still a lot of stuff. Like, I was surprised, especially the first episode. I was just like, wow, this is so dysfunctional. I can't see how anything's going to materialize through this. And so <laughs> it kind of made it riveting. And by second episode... Uh, I think I was getting even more angry because it was like, "Come on, quit screwing around. You need to get some stuff done." And then finally, you see it start to, you know, evolve, and mm-hmm. you know, it was cool. Uh, and then it's just mind blowing that they recorded how many songs on the rooftop that actually made it on the record, and and you would never guess they were live and filmed on top of the rooftop. You know, mm-hmm. just amazing. So uh, yeah, I enjoyed that.
0: It's incredible. Yeah, I only caught like, I think, three episodes and then had to get rid of Disney and <laughs> didn't yeah, get to watch funny. the I was rest to of them.
2: Watch the three and then <laughs> on it. <laughs> uh,
0: when, when I, the last one I saw, I think George left. And so I don't know if he came back or not because I didn't get oh, to watch it. Oh, yeah, the yeah, rest, he did. But... <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, we all know how it ends now. Yeah. But seeing yeah. that that three part thing was just, you know, you know being a you know, fly on the wall is just crazy, you know? Just seeing, yeah. seeing them work. I mean, they're just taking guitars and just like laying them down on the drum rise. Then George yeah. just fall, slides off and falls on the floor. And Yep. You know.
0: I saw that one. Yeah. I saw Things we take for
1: granted like guitar stands, you know, they didn't have access to.
0: Wow. Uh, just just imagine if all our favorite bands had like footage like that or like some sort of something like that. It would just yeah. be incredible. Well, I've
1: seen early photos of Van Halen when they're rehearsing. And you see cables all over the floor and guitars laying on the floor. And, you know, it's kind of that. I imagine, you know, I haven't seen videos of it, but I'm sure there's a lot of it that paralleled them too, you know, in a similar way, you know, in a way, you know, bands are kind of the same, you know, it's not, it's a relationship and that's where you get a lot of that uh, friction between members because they're all so passionate. And if, you know, one guy is trying to push something in a certain direction and someone disagrees, then, well, that's. When the disagreements happen, mm-hmm. uh, you know everyone's yeah. just that wrapped up into it.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's see, um, man. I'm seeing a lot of questions in the chat. There's a lot. We, we I got can't about even 60. Keep up
2: with them.
0: We got <laughs> 60 people here. This is awesome, you guys. Smash that thumbs up. We only got 22 thumbs ups, but 60 here. How is that possible? Smash that thumbs up, you guys let's see um alan's got got some of the major questions i'm sure as you know jim um let's see what, what was he saying yeah by the way well let's make it easy in the chat if you have a question put a cue in front of your, your your question so we can see pretty easily that it's a it's a question um let's see let's see we got that one well next question on the list What got you into building guitars?
2: Well, yeah,
1: that's a good question. So I started playing guitar. My very, very first guitar was a Gibson SG. And uh, I was very fortunate to start out with a good guitar. And uh, and a big part of that was because my dad, being a musician, understood the importance of having a good instrument. And so uh, that helped. And then how I got it... uh, was kind of interesting, and that's a cool story, and since that's what we're here to do today, tell stories, I'm gonna share this one. So, before guitar, my big passion was skateboarding, and that's what I'm, I'm back into it now as an adult. So, I started skateboarding in 1975 on a clay wheel, black knight, you know, open bearings and all that, and uh, then when the, the Dogtown scene happened in the magazines, all the Dogtown guys, Jay Adams and Tony Alva and Stacey Peralta, Shogo, all those guys, they were rock stars. I mean, they were for real rock stars. I mean, they, we all wanted to be them. They were badasses, you know? And mm-hmm. so uh, that, you know, really influenced that world. And they were all in their interviews, they talk about surfing. They were all really surfers and they got into skating because if the waves were down, they wanted something similar. And so uh, they, they'd skateboard, and then that kind of took over, right? But uh, So anyway, my sister was going to ASU, and uh, I went to visit her spring break. And this was like in 70 – I can't remember if it was 78, and then I, it, how it played out if it was early 79. I think it was 78. And uh, I went on spring break, so went to some skate parks while I was there, and then she said, hey, tomorrow big surf opens. It's this man-made wave place and you can rent surfboards and surf there. And so uh, I thought, oh, yeah, you know, like my heroes, that's cool. So we got there and it opened at noon. And so uh, all, you know, there's a big long line. And so they only allow eight surfboards at one time. So they were all taken. So the guy said, well, just get a raft. And then when a surfboard is available, then you can have that. So I got a raft and this place is 50 yards by 100 yards, like the size of a football field with this big, huge wall and then hydraulics to make the wave. And when mm-hmm. the wave came, I turn around and it's just scooping everybody up. And when it got to me, you know, I'm tumbling and I just see bubbles and sunlight and I'm doing somersaults under the water. And I don't know if I hit something or someone hit me or if I hit the bottom, I don't know what something hit me. And I got out and, uh, my, my older sister said, uh, Oh no, you have a bloody nose, you know? And, I went, and she goes, no, not that kind of bloody. It's, it's, split you know so i, I went to the oh, bathroom and it was split down the center like the skin and pushed over and so she took me to the medic and there was a line uh, at least 15 people deep and this was at 12 20 you know and that was the first wave i was on they opened at noon so there was 50 at least 15 people in front of me with like broken wrists or ankles
0: or whatever else i was the oh third broken note. so they was it everything. all from that ride yeah. Were they, all, were they yeah. all from that? All those people? I don't
1: know if it was all from the first wave or, or, I mean, I was there from my first wave and there were 15 people in front of me. So evidently. Yeah. And they told us all, Hey, you know, if it was obviously broken, they say, whatever the doctor bill, like, yeah, you have to go see a doctor and whatever the doctor bill is, give us a copy and we'll, we'll double it. So you don't sue us. You know, we didn't threaten, but they just, that was their thing, you know, give us a copy mm-hmm. of it and we'll, we'll double it just so you don't sue us. All right. I didn't, you know, whatever. So I get it taken care of, and a few months later, my mom gets the mail, and she goes, hey, look at this, big surf, you know, hey, the check, you know. So I, I received $808. So it was $404 to fix my broken nose at that time. Oh, wow. And so uh, she said, well, it was your nose, you know. You wanted a guitar, why don't you buy a guitar? And so I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. So then uh, because of that, you know, then I, I ended up with the uh, Gibson SG Exclusive, and then uh a Roland Cube 20 for an amp i had some buddies who were already playing for a few years and so they kind of guided me and i got that sg because uh, so i walked out with this ebony exclusive and uh that that Roland Cube 20 and it had a master volume which my buddies said was unprecedented on a practice amp from that era you know and uh and i still have both the guitar and the amp and and they're both fine you know i mean i was guided right on that first purchase you know so uh Mm -hmm. that's how i got my first guitar my first amp
0: oh that's that's a great story
2: man
3: (laughs) we're kind of the same jim because i was a skateboarder before i started playing guitar yeah and then i i had i was like i don't want to ruin my wrists and then i started playing guitar and it was really like I mean, I grew up in the early 2000s, so I was the Tony Hawk pro skater game era. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I was a skateboarder first, and then I definitely got into guitar more. So I don't, I don't have the cool story of getting money from someone. <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely a skater. And, and you first. know,
1: on, on that note, you know, I know s- since I got back into skateboarding, once guitar took over, skateboarding at that time, you know, in the 70s was a big boom, and by 80. It was really starting to go down it kind of ebbs and flows every decade so at that point you know i was playing guitar my other buddies were playing guitar and we all kind of got away from skateboarding and guitar took over you know and then uh shortly after i started the new school year started and uh i had to make a more involved project you know the year before we all had to make this one stool you know to the blueprint and then you got graded on it And then after that you could make whatever projects you wanted so uh I was making a lot of skateboards and stuff. Uh, some of my buddies were making pipes and hookahs and <laughs> whatever. <laughs> it back in the 70s. But I, I was making skateboards. And uh, so then this, this next year started. And, you know, the first class, you know, the teacher said, all right, start thinking about what you want to do. And you have to step it up. It has to be more complex than last year, you know. So I couldn't think of what to do. And I'm reading a guitar player magazine before class. And a buddy said, Hey why don't you try making a guitar? And I thought, oh yeah, that's a good idea And so I started asking some other friends who've been playing for quite a while and and they're like, oh yeah okay, but you know you got to make sure the frets have to be in the right spot and the bridge has to be in the right spot and all that. So uh, I started measuring my friends' guitars and you know kind of reverse engineering it and I decided I wanted an explorer because uh, Alan Collins from Skinnard and Matthias Yabs from Scorpions both had them. And I just thought, man, that Explorer looks badass, you know. I'd like an Explorer. And then uh, my buddy had a Strat, and I liked the Whammy Bar. And I thought, wow, you know, it would be cool if I had a Whammy Bar on an Explorer. And, uh, and then I liked the way the Strat had the pickups and the controls modular on the pickguard, right? So, I, you know, you had to do a blueprint first to show your project. I did that and then i hit then i started sourcing parts and and before i knew it i was like and this is in 79 i was like a little over 300 dollars in parts which that's a lot of money in 1979 but uh yeah. you know but you know i was i was a busboy at a chinese restaurant at the time so i was making a little bit of bank you know and i was investing in my parts and i'd have to buy the parts so i could measure them and you know fit them to the guitar and all this stuff as i was designing it working on it and uh when it came to the pickguard, guard, I couldn't find pickguard guard material. You know, it wasn't like now where a lot of stores carry a lot of replacement parts. So I got the phone book out and I'm calling all these plastic places I could find in the phone book. I grew up in a town called Munster, Indiana, which is Northwest corner of Indiana. So we were like 20 minutes out of Chicago, 20 minutes out of Gary. I find a plastic place in Gary and, uh, describe what I was looking for. And they said, well, we think we have something, you know, like, you know, eighth inch thick or whatever. So I went there and they had this stuff they called gray smoked plex. So it was really black mirrorplex, right? And I thought, wow, that looks cool. It'd be, man, that'd be awesome to make a pickguard out of that. So I bought some and I already had in junior high, back in the day in the seventies, junior high and high school all had industrial arts classes. So I already had woods and plastics and metal and even sewing and cooking in junior high. I already knew how to cut acrylic and buff it and polish it. So I made this pit uh-huh. guard and buffed and polished the edges and uh, cut it out and mounted the electronics to it. But I was too scared to solder the electronics to the pots because one of my buddies told me, you should buy Borns pots. At the time, Borns were considered the bomb. And you can't, and then he said, but you can't solder to the back of them like regular pots. And so I was afraid I might burn something up. So I took it to the local shop to have him wire it. And, uh, so he wired it. And the next week I came in for lessons, the pick guard was ready. And then he wanted to talk to me. And so he asked me to apprentice with him. So just seeing the pick guard got me my, my start in the industry. And then, uh, then I brought the guitar in after I put it together and, uh, it turned out fine. I got an A in it and, uh. That first guitar of mine was actually one more guitar I made than the guy I was apprenticing with, which was kind of cool. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it, it turned out, you know, so that kind of set me on the course and I did that through high school and I was in uh Deco, which is distributive education clubs of America. You know, it was like this, uh, I jokingly call it a work release program. You know, it was, you know, you have your class and it was part of sales and marketing and then mm-hmm. if you had a job, then you go to your job and you get credit for it. So by that time, I had enough credits where I was only going to school for like a half a day, maybe not even a half a day, and then working, getting credit for that. And, and then uh, the week, literally the week I graduated high school, that guy left, and then the owners of the store uh, allowed me to take over, which is a big, you know, um, gain of confidence, you know. For me you know having them allow me to do that so uh so it was very cool so that's how i got started and so i, I literally grew up doing that you know it was wow. a good experience and then i held that shop down until uh it was called music lab in lansing illinois so i i worked there heading up the shop doing repairs and custom building from uh at that point it was eight, actually 81 from june of 81 until April 88, then PB hired me as r and D tech. And so I left the shop and went to PV in 88. So yeah, wow. it, was, it was a good process. And, and there's a lot to be said about uh, learning in a repair environment because a lot of you can't call the shots, you know, you're playing the card that's dealt, you know? So uh, yeah. it was a great learning experience doing that stuff. So uh, I was fortunate for that. And then it turned out one of the owners, uh, there were three owners. You know, at least Mm -hmm. that it was told to me, you know, there were three owners. Actually, there were four and I didn't know who the fourth owner was. And he was actually the one who started the store, but he had to be a shadow owner because he was working at Gibson at the time. So it was Bruce Boland who was in charge of Gibson and he was good friends with the owners. And so he hired them or partnered with them to be, uh, you know, the actual, you know, day to day, you know, uh, people who ran the shop. And then he was just in the background, shadow owner. And he'd come in and I'd see prototypes like the very first Chet Atkins, uh, you know, solid body acoustic thing, classical. Uh, I saw all sorts of crazy stuff, you know, he'd bring in, uh, then you'd see it. He just wanted to see what other people thought in a music store environment, you know, to kind of like prove out their theories. So I I got to see a lot of cool stuff. And then uh, after I left PV in 2000, then he hired me at Fender and, uh, that's when I found out he, I go, I know you're good friends of the store. He goes, well, you don't know the whole story, do you? And I go, oh, no. Nah. So that's when he said he was actually the owner who started it, you know? So that was kind of coincidental that it was all intertwined like that. And then now I'm basically like his counterpart nowadays here at Gibson.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool. That's great. Hey, Ned, hey. my cat, Ned is here. I think he has a question. Come here. <laughs> wow dude yeah that's that's amazing um let's see okay i'm seeing a lot of questions uh rob blackmore official is asking hey jim what is what is your favorite van halen song that eddie played on the pv wolfgang oh ah
1: i would have to say and and you'll have to forgive me because I was so busy during that time that the names of the songs and stuff I'm I'm very foggy on. So mm-hmm. it was the, the Cherry Red special that he used in the video for the song. Um I can't remember oh. the name of the song, but he used it in the video. Without you. Yeah, without you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without yeah.
0: you from Van yeah. Halen 3. I uh, loved that guitar. Yeah, that was
1: cool, and I was proud that he used that guitar, and it was unique, and uh, you know, that was cool. The Twister stuff, you know, he used it on the Twister soundtrack songs, and that was really cool, and, uh, but yeah, you know, uh, Mm. I'm I'm bad about remembering songs and lyrics. For me, music is music, and words are different, you know, the words Mm -hmm. are words, so even like Mm -hmm. Beatles songs I grew up with, I'm real foggy on lyrics, unless I intentionally am trying to, like, learn one to sing, but. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. bad with words, but uh yeah. But I and, I and I do dig. I know there's the camps. You know, on on the Van Halen note, the two camps, Sammy versus Dave. You know, and if you like Van Halen, you like Van Halen. You know, and uh you know, you're doing you your disservice if you don't like one or the other. You know, like it all. It's all good.
0: It's all Edward. Yeah. That's it's, yeah, yeah. Man, well, mm-hmm. dude, that that I'm I'm glad you brought up that 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 cherry guitar that the one with the p90s right yeah that's it
2: yeah
0: i always liked that one i when i first saw it in the video and and um so you built that one
1: yeah yeah i I built all his prototypes from the very beginning which i'll show you in a little bit the very first guitar uh I, i i built all all the prototypes from 95 early 95 until i left in i think it was april of 2000 Mm so every prototype i built dang yeah that's that's i did the pickups and buzz out the guitars and necks and you know carve them machine them paint them wind the pickups i did i did it all
0: Mm -hmm. wow let's see our friend dakota here in the chat hey johnny did you see the tweet i sent you dakota he he wants he wants us to show you a a guitar that he has let's see where did you send that here it is i think it's his friend's guitar i think is what he was saying but it's a it's a pv pv wolfgang oh yeah that one
1: cherry sunburst yeah
0: yeah the one that i had was similar to that
1: yeah i'd say that's probably 98 or 99 i think when we came out with the cherry sunburst Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't have a cool. Cherry Sunburst. I still have several uh most of them prototypes, but I don't have a Cherry Sunburst one. Mm-hmm. Maybe one day when I get time I'll make one.
0: <laughs> oh man. Do you do you build guitars that well, I'm assuming you do. You build you work on guitars every day, but I'm trying to unblurry my camera. Um uh, but do you do you like like think of a guitar and then just build it like for I yourself
1: like, sometimes i'll do things uh usually like at home even even though i have my shop here i don't i don't like to do the real heavy stuff you know making sawdust i like to keep mm-hmm. a little bit a little cleaner so most of the stuff i'll do at home will be like pickup winding or refretting or working on that level. But I do, you know, I mean, I have all my bandsaws and sanders and everything here, but I just don't do it all the time. And and frankly, you know, when you do it for a living all the time, uh, you don't want to come home and do the same thing all the time. But if I do, uh, like I made myself a short scale bass about 10 years ago, and that was one of those projects where I was just burning, you know, like, I don't know, you know, well, we all know what it's like, you know, when you have the fever for a guitar, you just have to have it and and the world's not stopping yeah. until you get it so i had this thing yeah. and i i uh i just wanted a short scale base for whatever reason and so i designed this thing and made it entirely in my garage uh, and and but i oil finished it i didn't want to get into the spraying and all that at home so i and i used like this exotic mahogany that looked really cool with oil finish and oil finish the neck and all that so uh yeah i did that entirely in the garage and then sometimes you know i may uh take some project you know that was half finished and finish it off in here or maybe take something into work and work on it a little bit and then bring it home and finish it off i do enjoy mm-hmm. working on guitars you know i mean it's it, you don't want to do it you know 24 hours a day you know like any job you know no matter how much you like it you still have to have a little separation but uh but i do have to have my shop and i do love working on them yeah
0: yeah oh definitely i mean to get to, to your level you, you have to enjoy it i mean really there has to be really something special there that where it's like just amazing i'm horrible at at well i i, I can throw a guitar together but i can't paint i'm horrible at painting um but our friend Amanda here is actually amazing at painting. Yeah, yeah, that
1: I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: I got lucky. And I, I know we've talked about it. I've talked about it with Johnny. But my grandfather, I mean, he painted cars, painted Cadillacs back in like the 50s or the 60s. And he was always fixing everything. So he was he would work during the day and then at night he ran a shop out of the house and people would come with their electronics and he would fix everything. So he was also an engineer, but hit, he also played trumpet. And then his wow. father restored violins and worked and built violins for a living. So, and then cut hairs, so, like super oh, wow. Polish, we did everything. Uh, so I got really lucky and I just kind of was born into a family where it's like, you you don't buy it, you build it. and super musical. Yeah. And
1: there's so much satisfaction in doing that. Oh Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's the thing that really drives me no matter what I was into with, if it was, you know, skateboards or guitars or, or, you know, whatever, I always have to tear them apart, see what makes them tick and put them back together and then start tinkering with them and working on them. And, uh, I just enjoy that. You know, I'll do that with tools, even, you know, sometimes just, you know, taking tools apart, rebuilding them or modifying them. Uh, yeah, it's just a fun process. Now, I, now the art like you do now, that's a different deal. I can paint a guitar, but I can't do the artwork like that. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, that that I admit, I'm, I'm not skilled in that. So
3: my my grandfather had me watching Bob Ross at like three and then he would take me down to his wood shop and then I would sit with him and he'd have me paint on wood and like help him build stuff. So I was just born into this. Like really just started drawing really early on and painting stuff early on. And I've always been artistic, but I, I also really love modding and I kind of got the cross between the two. So when I started working on guitars in 2018, I, I don't know why I hadn't thought of the idea before, but uh, yeah, that was like the first thing I wanted to do is just like how I make this artsy and then it's just been like a snowball ever since I now I can't not think of guitar ideas. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. see something I'm like how do I make that into a guitar artistically so yeah everyone has that's their that's own necessary. niche. Yeah Definitely. that's right that's right.
1: Yeah, oh, my, my my painting is limited to like you know sunbursts and you know those sort of things. You know, not the, the fancy what most people would view as art. You know,
3: sunbursts yeah. are hard. I did. I mean, I've only I think I've only done two in my life.
1: But you know, I, when I, nice. I do tours at, at Gibson, I'll when we get into finishing, uh, I'll always explain like this. You know, being master luthier and R and D manager, I can do everything from a concept and to a completed guitar. However, I'm always the first to point out, all these people at work, Like, and I do it when they're spraying a sunburst, I say, now watch what they're doing. They'll knock this uh, sunburst out in 30 to 45 seconds, and it's magnificent. And I say, you see what they just did? It would take me five minutes to do that, because I don't do it eight hours a day every day. I did my first one in 1980, I can do a fine sunburst, but it'll take me five minutes, because... I ease into it and I stand back and kind of squint and look at it and then go back and hit it some more. So it'll take me five minutes. It takes them 45 seconds, you know, because they just lay it on. And and that's where you have when you're doing a skill like that and focusing on it eight hours a day, that's when you develop that. So uh yeah, I just you know, I I know my limitations, you know, it's like I, I jokingly say, you know, I'm in my position because if they put me on the line I wouldn't make the cut. You know, I couldn't spray a sunburst as fast as these people. I, or maybe I could after a while, you know, but like, I couldn't just like replace someone if they were sick because I just can't do it that fast, you know, like they do. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to be said about that. They're all specialists. Yes.
2: Yes.
0: Yeah. Wow. And I, I wouldn't be able to do that at all. No, no, matter, no matter what. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I love a sunburst guitar, man. That's probably, you know, aside from uh well my favorite guitar ever is the the, the 5150 guitar you know if you know that oh one. yeah okay and, um, but as far as like a regular non van halen you know paint job yeah the sunburst i love the i've got a sunburst telecaster and sunburst strat and stuff and yeah so
1: uh i had i was just trying to find a question someone sent but i can't find it now maybe it'll come up later
0: Let's see. I'm seeing. I'm seeing a lot of. Uh, let me see. R2, R3, Locky Nut. He's a channel member here on uh, Johnny Bean TV. Here on YouTube, he asked a question. Let's see if I can find that. Let's see. David. Well, here. Let's let's do that one because that that one. He used a super chat, so that one really popped up. Uh, David Paulson is saying, uh, "What a great show! Thank you." Hey Jim, is there a chance that Gibson will release the Trans Trem again? Thank you.
1: Uh, that I can't say definitively. I know there's been talk about that, but uh, hopefully so. I, I, but I can't, I can't confirm nor deny at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate to be kidding, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, hopefully so. Yeah, I actually Did- still have a leftover Trans Trem from when I made the tube for Eddie. So that's, oh my that's gosh. A, a vintage piece, you know, from 30 years ago or 28 years ago, however long it was.
0: Wow. So yeah. can I ask a question? Can I ask how hmm. many guitars did you build for Edward that had the trans trams on them?
1: Oh, with the trans trim, only two. There was uh, the ivory one and the black one.
3: Yeah.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Maybe the two. Yeah. I think there was just the two. I think just the ivory and the, the black one. Yeah,
0: hmm. and do you know the songs he used them on? No, That no. <laughs> I don't. Oh man, wow, that trans trim—that's a cool thing. I, I had a, a chance to play a friend's guitar. I don't know, thirty-something years ago, and it was a Steinberger with one of those. But I, I wish I would have realized what it was. I mean, I kind of knew what it was at the time. I wish I would have really messed with it and and had fun because now I would love to play one of those. Yeah, because they, they just look incredible. Device. Yeah. You know? We actually we have a friend in the chat here. He goes by the name OE12. He was on my show last Saturday night and he has an original GL2T and he was playing it and showing it off and everything and just amazing.
1: Yeah. That they are, yeah. you know. Uh and I had when when we started the project with Ed, um well, the guitar version of it, you know, the, the amp was uh 92, I think when we started the amp somewhere around the early nineties. Mm-hmm. And at that time we made, uh, you know, we had the heads up that Eddie was going to come and that we're going to start this amp thing, get a guitar ready because he may want to do a guitar too. And so uh, I made a single humbucker super strat, you know, because that's what he was known for playing. And so uh, he came by the factory and I had that guitar. And then I had my shop amp at the time was a PV, uh I think it was called a VTM, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. I think it was VTM vacuum tube modified. It was kindly, kind of like a super uh modified like uh twenty two oh four JCM eight hundred, you know, with some additional switching for changing some things. It was a, a really cool amp. However, it wasn't Eddie's rig and it wasn't his guitar. But when he was there and he plugged into that PV single humbucker you know based off of like a tracer or a falcon or something like that into that pv amp sounded like eddie it wasn't his rig it was just that guitar into that amp sounded like eddie it really did that's the secret wow. that his fingers it, it really is i mean all the other gear helps him get there it you know it, and it does make a difference but 90 yes. percent of it they're his fingers and his hands yeah in it's, his the, per, ears, it's right? the person
0: it's the player yeah it's definitely yeah. it's definitely the player and edward yeah. i mean he he's he's the prime example of of that and and it's just it's just amazing um let me see mikey mojo just dropped a, a super jack ju- Jim, tell us some cool stories about first meeting Edward and some cool stories about working with him in the shop.
1: Okay. Um, here's a funny one. Now, now this one, uh, before I really met him, the year he, he debuted with Kramer, I'm at the Nam show and uh, I see this big, huge, you know, group of people crowding around the Kramer booth. I'm like, what's going on? And so, uh, you know, I've, kind of go through the crowd and you know, I see, you know, a bunch of people. I still can't see what's going on. And I asked this other guy, uh, who was Paul Dean from Loverboy, he was right next to me and I'm like, what's the big deal? What's going on here? And he said, Van Halen's here, you know. He's debuting his new guitar. I'm like, Oh wow, that's cool. So, you know, saw that and, you know, it was a big deal, you know, I mean it was his debut, you know, with Kramer. So yeah. uh that was that was pretty pretty heavy to witness that and uh and then let me back up a little bit you know during that time it wasn't anything to go to an am show and see someone like eddie or elliot easton or paul dean or les paul or chet atkins you just saw those people all the time you took it for granted you know leo fender Mm -hmm. you know i met him a couple times uh so it was cool you know being able to grow up during that era but the, the funny part of the story was uh we were leaving the convention center and this is in Chicago. We're going through the S-curve, which was – I think they got rid of it because it was so dangerous. But the S-curve was this noto- notorious curve along Lakeshore Drive. So we're at the light, and uh, my buddy Danny – I'm going to give him a shout-out. Dan Ryan <laughs> says, hey, Eddie and Val are in the limo next to us. And I look over. I'm like, oh, yeah, wow, you know. So he rolls down the window. And he waves, and Eddie, you know, presses the button. The window comes down. He's like, "Hey, man, how you doing?" And he said, "Hey, why are you playing Kramer guitars?" And uh, he's like, "Hey, Kramer's are good guitars." He's like, "Why don't you have this guy build you a guitar? He'll build you a guitar." And you know, he's just trying to like pump me up because he's proud of me because he's a buddy I worked with in the music store and was in bands with. Yeah. So he's like, "Get this guy or He'll make you a guitar." And Eddie goes, "No, man, Kramer's a good guitar." And then so, uh, and I'm like, "Oh no, this is this is not good," you know. <laughs> so, so he's like, "No, no, you need to get him to make," you know. So he's trying to like pump me, you know, pump me up to him, you know. And and then finally, uh, Valerie said, "Well, Eddie makes his own guitars." <laughs> and then Danny said, "Well, they must not be any good, or so you wouldn't be endorsing Kramer's." <laughs> And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Why would you say that? That was horrible, you know? So at this point, I'm hiding. You know, I'm, I'm ducking down <laughs> in the co-pilot's seat. And last thing I saw, the light changes, and, you know, Danny's shaking his fist at Eddie, and Eddie's shaking his fist at Danny. And then, my years later, then I'm making his guitar. Oh! Wow.
0: Did you ever that tell was, him that story? Did you yeah, tell I him did.
1: That? I did. And uh, he kind of thought about it. He's like, Yeah, I don't remember that. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, but it happened. Yeah. So that was the first time I met him. The first time I actually met him was when he came to the factory, you know, for that guitar and amp thing. And so Mm -hmm. we had the guitar already. And, you know, he came into my office, you know, at the factory, had the rig set up and he played it. And he was like, yeah, cool. And all this stuff. And then he left. And then uh, about a week later, oh, but while he was there, we had this guitar called the Odyssey. And that was uh, kind of PV's version of the Les Paul at the time, you know, because this is shortly after Appetite for Destruction. And we were at, you know, the McCormick place and we heard Sweet Child of Mine playing. First time we ever heard it. And we're at this trade show. And we're like, wow, what is that? this is like every best guitar sound wrapped up into one, you know? And, and so we looked at each other. We're like, wow, you know what this means? It's not the Strat Decade anymore. I guarantee the right. Les Paul's coming back. And it really did. That, that song changed everything. And so we mm-hmm. came out with that Odyssey, which is kind of PV's version of the Les Paul, but it was a little different. It was really more similar to what Paul Reed Smith later came out with as his single cut. Cause it had more of a, uh uh, i don't know how to describe it it kind of dropped a little bit not as uh oval you know as the rear end of a les paul and then Mm -hmm. i added like a a telecaster kind of contour on the top end of the neck you know in that upper bout so it was easier to sand and uh so eddie pulled that off the wall and he's like well what's this i said well that's our les paul our odyssey you know he goes, Well, that's kind of cool. And he was checking it out and playing it. And he quit playing the strat and was playing that. And then uh, didn't think anything of it. And then about a week later, we heard that he already signed the thing with Ernie Ball and then uh, and that he was just gonna do the amp. So we're like, okay, whatever. And then when it came out, it was kind of a little similar, you know. It was that Les Telly kind of thing, you know. So uh, I don't know if that was directly the influence. I know Dudley Gimple was responsible for designing that but I don't know if, uh, it must be just coincidence. A lot of times that's the way that stuff happens, but it was just interesting nonetheless. So that was cool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he was very cool, very personable. And then, uh, so we did the amp and then a few years pass. And then I got word from, uh, Hartley Peavy, the owner and Lynn McRae, who's in charge of artist relations at the time. And they said, Hey, uh, it looks like we might have a chance. It looks like, you know, something happened, you know, with Eddie and Ernie ball, we might have a chance with a guitar and, you know, do you think you can do it? I'm like, well, if you're giving me the chance, you know, hell yeah. You know, let me, <laughs> let me add it, you know? So they got me uh one of his uh, music bands, you know, just to kind of use as a guide with the directions duplicate this guitar we want to show him we have the capability to make a guitar to that level of craftsmanship. So just copy it and we'll prove it to him that we can make that guitar. So I got to work on it and this is it.
2: So oh I made it off
1: the body yes. and copied the Let body. Me see. Exact.
0: I'm going to spotlight you. I'm going to spotlight you yeah. here so we can see that. That's it. Dang. Gorgeous.
3: And then
1: the headstock, I put a PV headstock on it because. I didn't want to, you know, do a direct copy, so I thought, mm-hmm. well, I'll do the PV headstock, you know, on this, and then I had this neck joint that I, I received a patent on that I did on the Steve Cropper model. So, uh, oh right, it yeah. has this aluminum reinforcement that's hidden inside the neck and body joint, and allows you to have kind of like a heelless neck joint and still get all, you know, full access to the highest fret, right? Yeah. So I did that, but based off of the uh, Music Man. So, that's it.
0: Quilt wow. top with a
1: mess with back and bird's eye maple neck.
0: That looks just like it, man. Yeah. <laughs> really nice bird's eye in this one, too. Yeah. Oh, man. I like that, that neck joint, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, Dude, that looks just like it. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> so, I got the guitar done,
1: and uh, they were just starting rehearsals for the balance tour so the first first show was in pensacola florida Mm -hmm. so they rented out the venue for a week before the show and they were just having you know a week's worth of you know rehearsals and then that last night friday then that was the kickoff of the tour they played a show you know for the public and that was it so i was there for i think three days and brought in the guitar and you know he sound checked with it you know rehearsed with it and all that He's like, all right, I know you guys can do a guitar. Now we need to come up with something unique, you know? So then uh, we went back to the factory after that. And then I started thinking about what we should do. And uh, we didn't want to just copy the music, man. That wouldn't be cool, you know? So mm-hmm. I started thinking about it. And then uh, Len told me, hey, it's Wolfgang's birthday is coming up. I think March 15th, if I'm not mistaken, right? So I said, his birthday's coming 16. up. 16. 16th okay i knew it's middle okay so wolfie's birthday so i thought ah i know what i'll do i'll make the guitar how i want to make the guitar for wolfgang and that'll butter up the old man and then he'll like my design <laughs> right So i do that so i i come oh. up with this design you know and i make it you know like a scaled down three-quarter but not literally a three-quarter size a small size and oh. uh so i had the body done and then he came in before it was done, and and I didn't know, so uh, I said, "Well, I was trying to get this guitar done. I was trying to do it for Wolfie, but I thought maybe you know it'd be something like you'd be interested in." And he was so blown away. He goes, "Yeah, just make it full size. That's it." So that's how the body came about. So it was, and that's why it's named Wolfgang, you know, because that first one was designed for Wolfgang. Oh wow!
0: Right that's amazing then
1: then we talked about the headstock and uh he wanted a compact headstock and so he said well i have some designs i did on a uh napkin or it was a small sheet of paper might have been stationary from the hotel and uh it was a flying bee. and i said well that's a flying bee." and he goes yeah but it's smaller and i said well a patent examiner doesn't care how big it is it's still an infringement on a flying bee, you know You could make it twice as big or twice as small. It's still a flying V. So, uh, I go, yeah, it has to be different. So then he drew something else and I go, well, that's, that's a washburn. You know, it had a little V, you know, I go, well, that's just a washburn. He just took a, put a V on top of the flying V neck. Oh, that's a washburn, you know, or, or a Dean, you know, like mini Deans. So I go, "Yeah, yeah, you can't do that. And, and I had done this neck for myself that, uh, I did a, you know it was guitar I did at PV, but for myself and I was going to present it to PV. but at this point you know I didn't have the chance and it wasn't uh like the new model year where I'd have a chance to present it so I pulled that out and I said well how about something like this and he goes well I don't know you know I, I still like this other one I go yeah but it looks like a Dean or a, or a uh, Washburn you know and so I said hang on I got an idea So I I took the neck and I ran out in in the factory outside my office and I got on a spindle sander and I sanded the scoop on. Oh, so it sanded it down to raw wood and and highlighted the scoop.
2: So Uh I said, what about this?
1: You know, it's the same headstock, but with the scoop thing, you know, it kind of has a V kind of feature. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I dig that. Okay, that's it. So that's it, it happened that quick. Oh, wow. And then after that, it was all just the final engineering and stuff like that, working out details. uh, You know, I added the carbon fiber because personally, I felt really, uh, you know, I I personally felt there's a lot of benefits to the carbon fiber. So I put that Mm -hmm. in the first neck I made for them and uh, did a compound. So the first neck I did a compound radius and carbon fiber truss rod uh, reinforcements. and uh, But I didn't say anything because at that time I figured the company would probably say well we're going to be adding cost to the product and we can't afford to do that whatever. So I just kind of snuck that carbon fiber into it. But he knew there was something going on and he he could hear it and he could feel it. He's like, "Man, it, what's with this? I know there's something with this neck." You know, I said, "Well, there's carbon fiber in it." So he's like, "Well, that's that's what we're doing then." So we kept the carbon fiber and uh And then i didn't want to copy uh like on this guitar you know i did the truss rod up here because that's what we were doing at the time but uh with music man i didn't want to copy their truss rod wheel you know shooting out of the neck Mm -hmm. again i didn't want to copy it and when i was blowing that body up and in fact that's the the last part of the body story was when i was blowing it up full size you know i did it by hand while him and hartley were there so i have my french curves and templates and stuff and i'm just like manually redrawing at full size and Hartley gave me the directive now son make sure not one line or arc is the same as the music man I don't want one goddamn line or arc to be like the music man at all <laughs> so I had those orders and those exact words you know so I knew it was serious so pardon my language but that's how it went down
2: that's so okay. uh
1: so with that, I didn't want to copy the the rod and, you know, the spoke wheel like that. So I thought, ah, if I recess it into the neck, now it's different. And then it's not compromising the body because like here, you know, I was able to put the pickup right at the end of the neck, but if I had the wheel out, now the the pickup would have to move down and there would be that gap in between uh-huh. the, the butt of the neck and the pickup. So uh-huh. with the truss rod wheel recessed, now you can move that pickup closer and you're not compromising that body joint because now you don't have that notch cut out at the end of that joint, which in manufacturing that that wood being so thin, it's very prone to snapping and cracking, you know, as you're machining it out. So I did the, the recessed wheel and there again, that made it different. And so uh, little things like that then took, you know, time to, you know, refine and develop all that stuff. So, but the basic design, the body and the, uh, headstock, you know, happened that fast. Um, uh, let's see what else was there. That's uh, cool. Then the, the detuner, you know, uh, that was presented. Adam Reaver presented it to Maddie. Yeah. He knew Maddie really well. And, mm-hmm. uh, and Robbie Benson is the the guy who came up with the detuner and he partnered with, uh, Adam, you know, and Adam's, uh, you know, more the business end of things, right? Yeah. You know, he's a good friend too. And so, mm-hmm. Adam presented it to Maddie and Eddie and uh, Eddie bought the rights to it and uh, then presented it to us. And then I had to do all the final refinements on that because the concept was there, but uh, it wasn't very refined and it wasn't really working properly just yet. So I did all the final engineering and changed the contour of it and, and moved the fine tuner 45 degrees off access. So you could get in there and actually fine tune it while it's on the guitar without having to pull it out and do it multiple Mm -hmm. times. Uh, So little things like that, you know, happened over time and then, and then just doing all the uh, blueprints for manufacturing and then uh, designing it for manufacturing, because, you know, it's one thing to make one guitar, but you have to engineer it and you have to look at, uh, you know, all the dimensions and tolerances and everything else. So it was, the design happened quick, but the final engineering, you know, took months and months. Yeah. Yeah. it's a great process. Oh, it consumed me. So when I made that, that first guitar, um, (laughs) you know, he was there and once he agreed to the headstock, then it's like, okay, now we need a prototype. And, uh, so I said, well, when do you leave? And he's like, well, tomorrow around lunchtime. So I said, well, let me see how much I can get done. So this was about four in the afternoon. So him and Len left. And then about seven or eight o'clock at night, you know after dinner they called and said hey man how you doing and i said well i have the body cut out and i'm carving the top and you know I, you know i i talked him into going with the contoured top like a les paul because i wanted mm-hmm. to separate it from the music man you know so i thought yeah. having the contoured top and all this stuff you know would separate it because we didn't want to you know we didn't want to um uh, you know copy them you know we wanted to do something different you know we just didn't want it to be mm-hmm. a copy so we did the contour top and I saw him while I'm in the middle of carving the top and uh he's like well do you think you're going to have something for Ed before he leaves and I said Len this is personal I will have it I'm going to have this guitar he's like alright so you know hung up I stayed all night they came in 11 o'clock the next morning just as I'm tuning it up so i stayed up all night made this guitar from scratch except i didn't paint it it was just assembled in raw wood but i i bound it carved it finished sanded it everything it was a completely finished guitar except for the paint put it together i'm just doing the fine tuning and intonating it you know and the here's a funny little side note and i didn't tell him at the time <laughs> because i want to let <laughs> the magic stay with him when I'm just checking the intonation, you know, I'm just, you know, in a hurry and he's right there. So i I just, I check everything. Intonation was spot on. I didn't have to move anything. And so Ed's like, Oh my God, you didn't have to turn anything. And the intonation is perfect, man. That's a sign. And I'm like, you're right. But What he didn't know was I took that Floyd off another guitar. So it was already intonated for another guitar. And it was just kind of lucky that it was close enough. So, but to him, it was magic, you know, so I let him believe it. <laughs>
0: it what so that that's that's what funny. I do. That's what I do when I, when I'm swapping Floyd's on my guitar is they, somehow they're they're already set. And so I just leave them, you know? Yeah.
1: You know, I mean, it, it, intonation is important. You know, we all know that, but it's, it's not like some people think it's like, oh, change your oil after so many miles, you got to re-intonate it. You know, you intonate when you make it and put it together. And as long as you're keeping it as that and you're not changing the action or the string gauge, you really don't have to intonate it. You know, you you might check it once in a Mm. while, but it's not going to move unless the screw gets loose and something moves. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's why that stuff can happen. Yeah. Yeah. So so Uh yeah, so he left and then uh, him and Hartley took some shots. I should have brought those out. Uh, getting on one of Hartley's planes, you
0: know, posing that's the picture. poster. There's a poster from a PV monitor magazine where he's oh, yeah, holding yeah, the guitar. Right. He's yeah. there up outside the airplane. Yeah. Yes. And there's a red yeah. P V on the other side of that.
2: It
1: was uh well the guitar was just white wood. You know, it was and I used flame maple for the top at the time because I that's what mm-hmm. I had. And uh but it was just raw wood. And the plane I can't remember which one it was. Hartley had two planes at the time. I don't know, he still might still have them. One was a, a G4 and the other one was a King Air. It was probably the G4 because that was like, that was like the big ship, you know, that was like, you know, a $30 million plane. And so uh, I don't think he would have taken the $8 million plane to pick up Eddie. I think he would have gone full bore and taken the G4. So, uh so, yeah, that was them with that guitar, you know, getting back on the plane. So that was cool. Then after that, then it was a matter of just making more prototypes and uh, refining wow. it. Yeah, that's the one. Right yep, there. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. And here here's another part of the story, too, you know, where the knobs are in the switch. So originally, you know, that's what he had on the Music Man, right? Oh, right. So with the Wolfgang, I wanted the two knobs and the toggle switch where they're at. And Eddie's like, well, I don't use a tone control. I, you know, I only use a volume control. And I'm like, yeah, but with the asymmetry of the body, it kind of goes with it. And then the switch being up here goes in line with the controls and it kind of accents the body and follows that.
3: So from a design
1: standpoint, I was really all about that. And he's like, yeah, but I don't use the tone control. I said, well, why don't we have two volume controls instead of a tone control? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that's cool, that's cool. So then I wired it up as two volume controls, and then, uh, but he said, oh, but the switch up here, you know, I knock it out. If if I'm tapping and I hit it, you know, it's going to go to the rhythm pickup, you know, and it won't sound right. So I, I said, all right, we'll just wire it in reverse. It'll be another thing to talk about. So up will be the bridge. That way, if you're playing, think about it ergonomically, and and I know it's absurd to a lot of people, especially Gibson, you know, because Les Paul is not that, right? But mm-hmm. I thought about it, and uh, maybe it was because I was rationalizing, you know, what I wanted to do, but I said, think about this. You're playing a rhythm, and it's time for a solo. It's easier to swing your hand up and then go back on the downstroke and start your solo than it is to go down and then hit it. Or if it's down here, pressing it down and then coming back up. So really, swiping it up and now – it's, it's a quicker motion than if it was wired in reverse or, you know, like the music man. So he's like, yeah, you're right. You know? So I wired it up and he checked it out and he goes, yeah, okay, that's cool. So we kept that. And then uh, after he played the first prototype, uh, they kicked off the balance tour and he was playing that for a while. And then he said, you know what? The two volume control things just isn't happening. You know, it's too confusing. So uh, that was one of them. I don't know if that was literally, yeah, that was, that was one of them. That was the first cherry red one. A good friend of mine Taft owns that guitar now.
0: And oh, so, wow. uh,
1: but I don't think it was that one. I think it was the violet one that's in the rock hall that uh, another friend of mine, Brian Nakel owns. So, uh, oh, okay. and, and that's in the rock hall. He loaned it to the rock hall of fame. So it was that purple one. That was originally, uh, two volumes.
0: And, uh, with with the black humbuckers.
1: Yeah, right. That's right? the one. Yeah. Yep. So uh so then I rewired it for tone and he said, Well, I just won't use the tone, you know. But for him it was a safety thing where if he accidentally hit it, it wouldn't as drastically change it like going from pickup to pickup or turning the volume off. So uh so yeah, that's that's how that played out. So
0: and then so, when
2: we did
1: the special, because it was flat and we all already had the precedent with the contour top and the tone control layout and all that, then we were able to, on that one, I said, okay, we'll just go with one volume on that.
0: On the special, yeah, the, the, the flat top. Yep. Yeah. So so it was your idea to do the, the reverse switch?
2: Yeah.
1: And that was all wow. because I wanted the switch here because it looked right. You know, With the asymmetry of the body, it was just screaming to be in that location. Yeah, it, it just would not look as cool, right? Yeah. Oh man, so, I just thought it really, you know, all those little things add up to what a guitar is, you know. And I thought that control layout with that body asymmetry just tied it all together. And then, uh, and then with the body asymmetry, and again, I have to give props to Music Man, you know, because they they build a fine guitar. And going against them, you know, it was very daunting. You know, Dudley and Sterling, those guys, you know, they do some great work. So that was no easy task. That was quite a challenge. So uh, so that's where I wanted legitimate things to separate us and to add value to that guitar. And uh, so all that. And, and because theirs was symmetrical, I made mine asymmetrical, you know, put that slant in the body. And because of that, I was able to then shift the neck deeper into the body. And then you still had that horn coming out closer to the 12th fret, which improved the balance. So it wasn't as neck heavy. So it it, it improved the balance when it was strapped yeah. on. and And yeah. then it made access to the end of the neck a lot easier because you didn't have a reach like that because it was more like that. So it felt like, you know, you were a few frets, less of a reach you know because it was inset into the body but then you still had great front access so that that all kind of worked out coincidentally just because i couldn't copy that i had to come up with something different so it just
0: all landed very nicely man amazing r2 r3 locking nut Has had a question? Why did Ed change from 10 inch radius to 15 radius on the PV?
1: Yeah, he was using 10 on the music man. And, uh, there again, when, when it came time for the neck, I, I took dimensions off his music man and off of his, uh, Frankenstrat. And Mm -hmm. so the Frankenstrat was very, very narrow. It was like one, uh, I'll have to look at my notes. I still have my notes, but it was about 1.575, 1.585. It was very, very narrow. So that told me that because that was a Kramer, right? And they were going after like a vintage fender, which would be one and five eighths, which is one six twenty five, which is still Mm -hmm. kind of narrow compared to modern, you know, like vintage fender spacing is one and five eighths, and the modern fender spacing is one and eleven sixteenths. So his was vintage spacing. And then I said, how many times did you have this guitar refretted? And he was like, ah, three or four times. I go, well, you know, every time you refret it, it gets narrower and narrower because you have to take a little bit off. You know, it's just a little bit, but it all adds up. So it was mm-hmm. much narrower than it started out. So I said, why don't we take it back to one and five eighths where it started? And then with the flatter fingerboard again, uh, there were benefits to having a flatter fingerboard you'd have lower action and you know all that kind of stuff and not and buzz out and we weren't doing a 10 at pv we were doing an 8 and a 12 and a 15 and so for whatever reason uh you know i gave him other guitars to try out and he said 15 i'll stick with 15 so that he he selected that and then uh Let's see what else did we do. The fret wire we used the same 6105 style fret wire, which is a good size. It's jumbo, but not too jumbo, kind of medium jumbo. Uh, very popular wire. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see what else. Yeah, but as far as the neck, that was it. Uh, you know, I like I said, I took dimensions off of both of those guitars, and uh, and that's we brought it back up to you know what the original dimension would be. So uh, so that's that's how that came about
0: wow man yeah because i have the original music man in 92 and then i used to own uh, a 99 pv wolfgang Mm. i had to you know how it is you have to get rid of stuff and i wish i still had it because it actually was my main studio guitar for recording um but i've i always wondered why the next i mean they're really different you know i always wondered why
1: uh you know as far as the back shape we based it off of that same 5150 You know, because I didn't want to do, like, multi-generation of copying. So I went back to the Mm -hmm. 5150, or Frankenstrat, whatever uh, you want to call it as. So I took the dimensions off of that, and then with the flatter fingerboard, and then increasing the width, so it does make it feel different. You know, a rounder fingerboard is very, very comfortable when you're doing chords, you know. Uh, But when you're doing solos, you know, for for that style, the flatter the fingerboard, the lower you can get your action, and a cleaner action. So that's why we decided to go with that. Yeah. Wow. Another interesting Bye, thing was uh, uh, Music Man processed their fingerboard from the same piece of wood as the neck. Right? And that was a very interesting yes. thing. And I, I saw the benefits into that. And, uh, and I was going to do that. But how it played out, I ordered bird's eye maple and i got it from canada and it, it wasn't fully cured and so when i cut into it to process the the first prototype next when i resawed it the wood did that you know so when i cut it it bowed like that against each other as it came through the bandsaw it went like that so if you put it back hmm. together it did that instead of that right so i thought oh you know, at this point, I'm screwed. I, what can I do? What can I do? So then I had the idea, oh, since it's a, you know, I again, I wanted to do a tilt-back headstock, again, to be different from Music Man. So I did a tilt-back headstock. This wood, I was cutting off the back of the neck, right? So I was, I was cutting all this wood away. So as it did that, I thought, well, hell, you know, there's enough wood that I'm cutting from the back I'll just move it here to the other side of the neck and process the fingerboard out of it. And then it'll counteract, and it'll be a stress-relieved lamination. It's coming from the same piece of wood, but now it'll actually be stronger. In the case, short term, it allowed me to to run damage control on that warped piece of wood, but it glued together fine. And then even on production, it made it a stronger neck because it's a stress-relieved lamination. And it's still from the same piece of wood. So the, the grain and color, even though it's coming from the back onto the front, still look fantastic. So that was another happy mistake. And uh, then it worked out to be a nice benefit. So that was cool. Oh, uh, man. Yeah. It was an interesting journey. So all those, those little things, you know, all came into, you know, months afterwards, you know, as I'm making more prototypes and trying to get it ready for manufacturing and trying to refine everything.
0: Did did you did you build the, the the guitar that he played for um for Can't Stop Loving You the one that had the 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 piezo piezo pickup in it
1: Oh yeah 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 and he also used that in uh, I just came across it recently he did this thing him and uh, Gary Sharone did this uh, duet thing where you know Eddie's playing and Gary's singing and he's using mm-hmm. that guitar and I just saw that for the first time just I think maybe a month or two ago. It was very cool i was really proud to see him use it on that so that one uh i was working on the prototypes at this point we were i i was given the orders to have six prototypes ready for the summer and am show and so uh that was in end of june or july and so i'm crunching uh i can't remember because sometimes the Nam show will be end of June, sometimes in July. I can't remember how this one played out, but I was already working Mm -hmm. on these prototypes. Then they said, you have to have them done for Nam. So then I'm like, wow, this is going to be tough. So uh, after the first week, and I'm making these six guitars, doing everything by hand, carving the tops and machining, you know, the necks, the pickups, everything. After the first week, I go in that Sunday, and I work like... uh, 80 some hours the first week, Sunday morning, I'm looking at everything, assessing it. Like how much do I still have to do to get these done? Cause they needed to be done to ship out, you know, by the following Monday, but I had to have them done by Friday so they could ship out Monday. So they have to be done Monday. So Sunday I'm like, I'm going to have to, I'm just going to have to stay up all night. So, uh, like I said, the first week, I, it was, I think, 84 hours, you know, the first week. Second yeah. week, I went in on a Sunday. You know, that's when I determined I'm just going to have to stay up until these are done.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Monday morning, I went home, took a shower, had breakfast, went back to work. And then my wife or my friends at work would bring me lunch and dinner. I would drink a coffee every hour until noon. Then I'd switch to Diet Dr. Pepper. And drink one an hour and then continue that cycle and then uh, Thursday night I get home the guitars are done it's 11 o'clock so I didn't sleep I literally didn't sleep no exaggeration no sleep from Sunday morning until Thursday night at 11 o'clock that many days no sleep morning you know copy routers and you know bridgeport mills and spraying and winding pickups Mm -hmm. no sleep i get get home i lay down phone rings and it's eddie's former manager barbara hey how are the guitars looking i said don't worry they're all done i just got them all done they're all good to go you know we'll be able to ship them out tomorrow not monday she goes oh great well you know what we decided we're not going to show them at nam but we'll let eddie use them for for uh you know, uh, (laughs) testing, you know, on the tour. And I was just like, oh, it was like, are you
2: shitting me? (laughs) You
1: know, but, uh, but it was, it was fine, you know, and, and and actually that's really how it should have been. You know, he had to road test them. So then he took them out on the balance tour. And then that, 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 uh, piezo equipped one came around because that was one he didn't have, you know? So he asked me to make a piezo equipped one. So I got the, uh, I think it was the mike christian piezo bridge which now i think GraphTech bought that technology so they're like these graph tech saddles with the piezo loaded saddles so i got mm-hmm. that and, and built up that prototype and uh because of the crunch i gave up my summer vacation over the fourth and postponed it so then uh i rescheduled it for the end of the month and then it turned out eddie was playing chicago and that's where our, you know i'm from the chicagoland area so then I took the guitar with me and then I gave it to him at that show. And uh and so then he used it and and that was it, you know. So that was cool. And uh and in fact Skid Row were opening for for Van Halen at that show and I met Snake in the band and, and Snake's been a really good friend and a great great uh player and supporter, you know. So it was it's cool how because of this project you meet all these people and they become lifelong friends, you know. Uh it was a yeah. great experience, you know.
2: So, so he got
1: the one and then that was in end of July. And I think it was the world theater. I forgot what that venue was called. And it's changed names a few times over the years. And then uh, he would still every once in a while play the music man. And then I went out to Jones beach and gave him the uh, red prototype. And then. I had to run out and go to a hardware store to find a drummel tool because the pickups were still a little too high on that one. So I had to get a drummel tool so I could route it and lower it. And that was a little bit of drama. And when I got back, uh, I did the work. And then he had to run out and sound check. And Leslie West was there. So this was another great story. So here I'm all stressed out. You know, I get the guitar modified. Okay, now he's going to take it out and try it on sound check. And now here's Leslie West. He's going to sit in with them at the show. And so he's going to sound check with them. So to see Eddie and the band play Mississippi queen with Leslie West was just, man, just fantastic. I mean, just sound checking on that. And Leslie, you know, it's his song, right? So here you yeah. have Leslie schooling Ed. No, no, no. It's like this. It's like this. <laughs> and you know, he's just being like the taskmaster. And Eddie's laughing, you know, cause eddie certainly knows how to play it you know but but leslie's just being leslie and he's just trying to you know impress upon the point like this is my song listen to me you know so eddie was a good sport about it and he was just kind of chuckling and then they played it ripped my head off just an incredible version of mississippi queen so that was a real real treat yeah so then he had that guitar and uh and then the funny part that that guitar even after i modified he's like ah, no this this guitar oh, no it it ah, it sucked you know he was kind of complaining about it and i was just crushed you
2: know
0: and then uh the red one
2: later, pardon?
0: was it the red one was it the it was red, red one. The, the one that said pv wolfgang they had the, the decals on the bottom yeah it was, was the that one the, that was that
1: the centerfolded the? of the guitar world magazine
0: yeah yeah yeah, one, yeah, I, yeah i think
1: yeah yeah, yeah. so at that at jones beach even after I modified it, you know, he was kind of chastising me, like, nah nah, this is no good. Ah, you know. And then a few weeks later, he plays in Atlanta. So I go out to Atlanta and he goes, I don't know what it is with the red one, man. It's my favorite one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it goes from,
1: you know, being, you know, no good one day to his favorite one the next time I see him. And then uh at that show john jorgensen was there from uh well at that time he was from the helicast but he was playing with elton john and they played the Hmm. same venue the night before and so he hung a day because elton had the next day off so john stayed to watch eddie you know so i was hanging in the guitar pit you know with john jorgensen and telling him you know about the guitar and the project and i'm like i'm crossing my fingers you know he's still using that music man you know on a song or two here and there hopefully you know yeah. he'll finally be all using my guitars he had the
0: logo covered up the music man logo was was covered at that time yeah
1: he may have done that yeah yeah but he was still using it for a song and so uh then when it came time for the encore the show is over john spins me around high fives me with both hands he just goes and then he grabs him he's like dude you did it you did it you know he played your guitars all night and I'm like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that was the first show that they were all my guitars, you know, that Atlanta show on the balance tour. So that was a great memory. Oh, wow. And then, and then having John Jorgensen there, you know, made it really cool too, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And then later I did that. That first piezo one was a sunburst. And then that one was also the first hardtail. And it was because of that piezo bridge. So I did uh, string through body. And then I did it like in a v- Formation, You know, because mm-hmm. it's v for Van Halen. So I, I did the, the oh. eyelets and V formation. And then uh, it also helped because now with that V, you had a more constant brake angle across the bridge because of the radius of the bridge and the V made it a more equal string break across the saddles. So that was another benefit of that. And then uh, when it came time for a hardtail, then I said, hey, you know, you got that hardtail piezo, uh, you know, non-trim. We need to do one for the product line. And uh and he he didn't want to do it. He's like, "Well, I don't use them, you know, except for the piezo." So. And I'm like, "Yeah, but you know, I'd kind of like a hard tail. you know that's kind of my world, you know I mean, the Floyd is all you know cool and all, but yeah. I kind of prefer a, you know a hard tail myself and And I said, you know, a lot of there's a lot of people like that, you know, so I really kind of had to twist his arm to do that and uh and it was just- impressing upon him it was really for me. And this is part me too, so why don't we do it? So then he finally gave in and we did it. So I was thankful for that. And uh, and with that, another cool uh, kind of happy, not happy accident, but the way it played out was I didn't want to have to design a different neck with a different pitch. You know, conventionally with a, a Les Paul style stop bar tailpiece and tunematic, you have to have more neck pitch, you know, to allow adjustability on the bridge. So, I didn't want to have to do that. Like that oh, there's one there. A, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, there you go. so, for that, <laughs> since I didn't want to make two drastically different models, you know, because you always have to think of manufacturing and, and uh, making their life easier. So, I then uh, thought, well, I'll recess the bridge in the tailpiece. That way, I can use the same neck and the same pitch. And then I got rid of the thumb oh. wheels and I just did a, a hex brooch for adjusting the the bridge. Yeah, there you are.
0: Okay, so that's why they're that's so why recessed that like that. You guys, this is amazing. We're learning so much stuff tonight. <laughs> this is incredible. Yeah, stuff I we've wondered forever, man. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I love the hardtail stuff. I've yeah. I've played the the PV Wolfgang, the 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 tremolo version, the hardtail version and yeah
1: they both have their place you know and uh mm-hmm. you know not everybody likes a floyd not everybody likes a fixed bridge you know so i thought you really have to have both and so uh yeah i'm glad we did and we made a lot of people happy by doing that obviously the floyd rose version you know would outsell it because that's what he's known for and that's what most of his fans want but there are mm-hmm. a lot of fans you know, who do like that hard tail oh yeah that that's the special with the hard tail that i forgot i even did <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I don't have one of those. I have a special but not a hardtail. I have a, a couple hardtail with the contoured top, but not the uh the flat top. Yeah. That's
0: cool. That's cool. I, I remember on um the uh it would have been the Van Halen three tour, he played I remember he played a special for like for like uh his main guitar solo
1: yeah you yeah. know once we did the special, you know Eddie used you know he's not one who likes all the fancy and the glitz and all that kind of stuff, right, so once we did the special, he really dug that and and used it a lot and and for one because it was it was the new toy you know it was or the new girl in town <laughs> as this old guys like to say it was the new <laughs> thing, right and uh mm-hmm. so he really played it a lot, and then he was just trying to let people know that it's available, so it was Kind of, you know, his his way of spreading the word that we're offering that too. But he genuinely did like like both of them, you know. And he,
0: you know, he really used both of them a great deal. So, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wasn't wasn't there a uh, I don't know if if you had talked about this earlier? Wasn't there like a mini one?
1: Oh yeah, so that mini one, the first one I did for Wolfie. So once I shifted gears and went to the full size, I quit working on that. And uh, maybe, I don't know, six, nine months or a year later, whenever, I finally finished it. And and uh, we had all, by this time, manufacturing are making the first of the production models. So at this point, he's only playing my prototypes. Now the, the factory makes the first batch of prototypes, or not prototypes, but production pilot run.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: we plan to send the first, I think it was like, 24 something about 24 guitars to Eddie's house, you know, the studio. Mm -hmm. So he could inspect them and make sure everything was up to snuff. So I flew out there so we could both open the guitars and inspect them, you know? So I flew out there and uh, we unbox them, we inspect them. And uh, one, one little funny was uh, after a few guitars, he picks it up. From it it's not in tune. I said, Well, yeah, you know, it's shipped from Mississippi to California. It's not going to be in tune. It's like, well, but it has a Floyd on it. And I said, Well, yeah, but you know, the wood is gonna expand and contract. That's why necks are adjustable, you know, necks move, you know, they mm-hmm. kind of settle, you know, and all that. It's all come on with the Floyd, you know, you're you're telling me it can't stay in tune. And I go, No, I mean, you know what it's like, you're on tour, you know. Do you think your tech is gonna tune your guitar? you know, in one city and you're not going to have to tune it in another. I mean, come on. It's like, oh, no, they should stay. This is leaving the factory. They need to stay in tune. And he tuned one up and then he went, bam. And we're sitting, you know, like kneeling on the floor, you know, passing the guitars back and forth. So we're both kneeling on the floor and he takes that guitar and he spikes it into the floor and he just embeds the strap pin into the body, you know, because he spiked it so hard. Oh, my gosh. And then he he strummed it and it was still in tune. And he goes, well, see, I just did that and it's still in tune. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, but, you know, come on, you know, shipping a guitar across, you know, the country, you know, you can't expect it to be in tune. Well, I'll see what you can do about that. So that was just going back. Make sure the strings are stretched out, you know, and then he, I, his way of, like, we just thing is dialed in and, you know, leave no stone unturned, you know, so to speak. Mm-hmm but uh but and that story i think is where he later on when he went to fender uh spun the tale of throwing a guitar across the room at a board meeting and all that stuff at P, which that didn't happen that was a complete fabrication so uh i think mm. he took that story of me being in his house and spiking it into the ground and he he spun that into being at a board meeting throwing it across the room and you know all this stuff TV doesn't have a board. They don't have a board of directors. It's owned by Hartley. you know. It's, it's a big company, uh-huh. but that, that never happened. Hmm. In fact, Hartley called me after that article came out. He's like, am I missing something? Did that? Ha-? And I'm like, no, it didn't happen. You were there. I was there. It didn't happen. So, yeah. Marketing. Yeah. 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 So I finished the small <laughs> one and bring it out to me, or bring it out yeah. with me to 5150. So then after we inspect the guitars... Then, uh, you know, I said, hey, I brought this out for Wolfie, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, great. You know, he plays it. And and I did that same string through body, you know, with the tunematic thing like I did on that first piezo. So he played it and he's like, oh, yeah, cool. You know, and then we hear Eddie and Val coming into the studio. And so he takes the guitar and he puts it in the gig bag and slides it behind the couch. And then here they come. And I'm like, all right, you know, he's going to. Hey, well, look at this nice man brought for you, Wolfie. And they introduce us, and Wolfie runs to a pink, uh, i think it was a pinball machine or whatever—playing for a while or some game, and talked to Val, and you know all this. And then they left. I'm like, he didn't give him the guitar. And then after they <laughs> left, and he pulls it back out, and he plays it, and he goes, "Okay, now I want you to make me one with the Floyd." And I'm like, okay. So I made him one with the Floyd. And so he never gave that to Wolfie and Wolfie has it now, but he it was intended for Wolfie, but he kept it and then oh. and then later with Fender, then uh he used those little guitars, but he had the headstocks refinished with new artwork and cut out the scoop but you can match up the flames; they are the guitars I made, but he just put new artwork on the headstock and cut the scoop out oh uh,
0: for li- yeah. for little guitars. Yeah. yeah, actually, yeah, I saw them twice on that tour, and, and on the huge jumbo screens, you could see it said PV on the on the Floyd. <laughs> you could see that. That's I, that. I
1: didn't think to look at. I didn't look yeah. at that. I was looking yeah. at the flame, but yeah, that's a good one too.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: so they were those guitars, and then uh, there was another. I just I just lost my train. There was another related story with the the little guitars. Maybe it'll come to me. I can't remember. But uh, but yeah, that's that's how they went. And oh, I know what it was. I know. Speaking of the scoop and cutting it out. So then uh, we have the guitar done and and then we start talking about patents and all this kind of stuff. And so then, you know, Ed wants his name on the patent. And I'm like telling Hartley. It's mine. It's not his. It's his name, but I designed it. His name doesn't mm. need to be on the patent. I designed it. And so he's like, well, you know, he really wants his name on the patent. And I'm like, I designed it. It's like, you know, if I like one of his songs, is he going to put my name on one of his songs that he wrote? No, that's just not right. I designed it, you know. So then uh, we're going back and forth on that. And then I said, all right, tell you what, why don't we do two versions? We'll do the one we did and we'll apply for patent for the outside shape of the headstock. And we'll apply for patent like we normally do. So it'll be in my name, assigned Mm -hmm. to PB. And then we'll do another version. And where that scoop is, we'll draw it out as if it was cut out. And then we'll apply for patent on that. And we'll put all three of our names. You'll be on there too, Hartley. It'll be Eddie, you, and me. That way, you and me can always tell the truth because it's, you know, there's two people who are going to be able to back each other up, right? Mm -hmm. So then we applied for patent on that and then assigned that to Eddie. And then Harley's like, well, what if he breaks away from Peavy and he takes the headstock? And I go, that thing's ugly. Let him take it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what happened, you know? So that's why the Thunder has that.
2: With so I just I cut out. While I
1: was at Peavy. yeah. Yeah. Before it was even in production, you know, that all went down.
0: Mm-hmm. What What about, real quickly, the, those heads? You guys, this is awesome. Smash that mm-hmm. thumbs up, you guys. We got 41 thumbs. We got about 107 watching right now. You guys, you guys are awesome. Um, I remember seeing a poster, I think it was like a guitar world where there was like when the PVs first came out and the scoops had like, they had like color in them.
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, originally I wanted to color match them and Ed was on board with that too. You know, we all, we Mm -hmm. both thought it looked really cool color matching the the scoop. And then, Mm -hmm. uh, once we were getting it ready for manufacturing, then, uh, some of the manufacturing people piped up which rightly so they said that's going to be a big can of worms trying to coordinate matching the scoops with you know six different necks with six different bodies oh. logistically that's a tall order for any manufacturing plant you know that's You have to tough.
0: match them all up eventually you can't yeah. just like slap and,
1: and, yeah. know, the way things work in manufacturing sometimes it's it's hard to keep things matched up or you know you'd have to make yeah. a certain quantity of necks and a certain quantity of bodies and sometimes even, even that is hard to uh manage, right? So uh so we the first I think it was like the first six prototypes had that, and then after that, then I quit. In fact. But wait, there's more.
0: Uh oh.
2: <laughs>
0: Here we are. Oh. Oh yeah, there it is. There it is. So yeah, it's the color of the body. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. So that's
1: it. So that's the, the match, you know, the yellow, the Amber headstock mm-hmm. to match the body. So this is one of, this is, this is literally not in, not counting that first guitar that he took on the plane. This is the first neck. So this is really the first finished neck that I made. Oh, wow. But It has the carbon fiber and the compound radius. And then after that, uh, then we determined, you know, and I think it it coincided, maybe the first batch of prototypes might've all had the compound with the color Mm -hmm. match. And then that was a feature again, manufacturing were saying the compound would have caused more complexity than they wanted to take on at that time uh, with a new model and all that. So uh, we gave up on the uh, compound radius fingerboard and the uh, match scoop. And then this was one of the first two amber bodies that I did. So then when he was at the factory, uh, he, he picked up both of them. And, and this one weighed a little bit more than the other one. And so he said, tell you what, just, you know, because he wanted one of each of the colors for the tour. So I said, I'll take this one. I'm like, you don't want me to finish this other one? And so he said, no, nah, it weighs more than the other one. And I just wanted one of each for the tour. So you keep that one. So he let me have this one. Oh, so that's wow. cool. And then later on, you know, and I didn't finish it out at the time. Then later on, uh, once we put new necks on, I made new necks to replace mm-hmm. all his prototype necks that had the color map scoop. Then I took that first neck and put it on this body. So that's kind of a cool thing.
0: Ah, oh, that's awesome.
2: Yeah. Super cool.
0: Wow.
1: <laughs> this one, I even had copper shielding paint on the inside and for whatever reason he didn't want to do that hmm. yeah so he felt you know and ah, i don't need that it's quite enough you don't need to do that so mm-hmm. that was another thing how things develop and play out
0: yeah so. stuff that always oh, slight changes and mm-hmm.
1: and then and, and then uh, the binding you know and everything i made was always real binding and then later on on production then it was an epoxy poured binding so we Hmm. would make uh the body blanks and then fixture them on the cnc machines you know with locator pins and route out a channel for the binding and then fill it with cream or black epoxy let it dry and then the next day put it back on the machine and then finish machining out the body so it was uh you know, unique Hartley wanted to do it that way. And, uh, but for me, for making prototypes, I couldn't do it that way. I used real binding, you know, it's just I could do that. I wasn't, yeah, gonna do the epoxy for prototypes. Yeah. Uh, what else is interesting with this one? Originally, I wanted to use, you know, the Gibson amber top hat knobs and the cream switch cap. I just, I wanted to kind of make it a little more Gibson y, but, uh, but he preferred the strat knobs because he liked the, uh, Neural, you know, the spline on the, the knob was a little more secure for him. Mm-hmm. And then this, this particular Floyd was before we had the uh, block PV logo on them. Some of the early ones may have had like the lightning bolt PV logo, but uh, some of them were just blank with no logo at all.
0: Oh, on the prototypes?
1: Yeah. And then this one has an aluminum block. Because the original production pieces, uh, at least during prototype, had a die-cast zinc block. So uh, we were experimenting with different tones. This one just happened to be aluminum. and uh, But we ultimately decided on brass. So I just left this one since it was unique. Yeah.
0: Oh, wow, that's awesome.
1: And then typically, most prototypes I would do for him, I would never install the tremolo cover. Because he always took them off. He just says right. slag and get in the way, so he just preferred
0: him without the cover. Mm-hmm. So oh, that's interesting. Uh, that's cool. What 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 like what about the pickups? Like how did how how were how were the pickups? I mean, to my ears, I always thought the PVs were hotter than the than the Ernie balls.
1: Yeah, they were different. You know, we couldn't, and you know, I know Larry um uh, and, and Steve Blue at DeMarzio. you know, I've known them for years and they're good people. So mm-hmm. in, in fact, in this guitar, I have the DiMarzio pickups. I called up Larry and Steve and they sent me down the pickups. So those are the DiMarzio Van Halen pickups. Oh, wow. So then uh, I just assumed that's what we're going to put in the guitar because he already did that and already did it with DiMarzio.
3: And then mm-hmm. Hartley
1: said, no, we're PV Electronics. We make pickups. You know, we want to put our pickups in Ed's guitar. So then we talked right. to Eddie and he's like, well, can you do it? And I go, well, Hartley's telling me I need to do it. So let's see what we can do. So then I just spec'd out his pickups and then kind of came out with my version of what I thought to get it in the sim- similar realm, right? Mm-hmm. Put him in a uh, guitar, gave it to him takes it out on the tour and then he'd call back or send a fax at that time or whatever and say, uh, no, it it needs a little of this, or it needs a little of that. So we went through uh, maybe a half a dozen different sets over a month or so. And every time he'd say, no, it needs this. And then I'd wind it to get a little more warmth or a little more high end or whatever he was telling me at the time. And I would take it in that direction. And we're doing this circle. And, and it was kind of methodical because everything he'd ask, I'd give it to him. And we kept on doing this. And finally, I took that first set of pickups I gave to him and sent them back to him. And he goes, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how that went down. And then I, when I was at Fender, you know, Fender got me to help, you know, get Eddie over there and i was based here in nashville and i I didn't want to move to california which is a whole nother story so Mm -hmm. uh but i gave him a lot of information on the guitar and i was the one who gave him the idea that there's no way you're gonna steal eddie from pb they're already making his amp and his guitar and like oh come on you know if it was your company what you could what would you do and i go "You, you can't top that come on think about it what could you possibly do you know and i thought about it and i go the only thing you could possibly do to top what PV already did was give him his brand. It couldn't be the Fender Van Halen model. It would have to be presented as the Van Halen brand. So that's what mm-hmm. they did.
2: So, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
1: Wow. And then I told him what I did on the pickup. So the pickups are the same wine, uh, you know, for the Fender. And then later on, then they offered an Alnico 2 instead of Alnico 5, which I used. And so Alnico two will be a little weaker and a little bit warmer sounding, but otherwise mm-hmm. it's same wire, yeah. That's the same. Yeah, I told them what it was. It was. It's not like a big. If you know how to make pickups, you can figure that stuff out. And but I told them what it was anyway. You know, so mm-hmm. they just got to that, and and then later on, initially they had Alnico five, and then later on they did Alnico two. Yeah. Wow. I didn't That's realize cool. you
3: worked for Fender.
1: Yeah, I was at Fender. I left PV in 2000, April of 2000. Went to Fender shortly after that until June of 2011 when I started at Gibson. Oh. Yeah.
3: What, what were you doing at Fender?
1: So I was hired as senior master builder in Nashville. And uh, at that time, it was Custom Shop East. And so uh, some of my first projects, I had to make these 21 guitars for Garth Brooks, for his uh, Chris Gaines persona, because he was doing this Chris Gaines yeah. um, mm-hmm. album where he was gonna be uh-huh. remarketing himself as a rock artist, right? And so he drastically changed his look and his music and all this stuff. And he was just trying to, you know, come out with this alternate career. And so I made these 21 tellies with this uh, mylar covering the, the face of the guitar. And it was literally the same mylar that they used on the cd for the chris gaines cd so it was like this multicolor prism line thing and i i found the company that made the mylar i had to do all this research from the record company and found this place it was actually in chicago heights illinois where i was born and they made the mylar so i got a roll of that and it was uh i think a half of a thousandth thick half of one thousandth i mean it was it was like an eighth of the thickness of a sheet of paper. It was very, very thin. And I had to use a spray booth and isolate it, so no breeze, because in a regular room like this, if I took a sheet of that mylar and just held it up like the sheet of paper, it would be doing that, just because of the residual, you know, breeze that you take for granted coming from like AC or heat or whatever. Mm-hmm. So uh, so I had to have this isolated room and adhere this stuff to the top. So that was an a interesting project at Fender. And then Dan Smith wanted me to move out there. So I was in R&D for like two years, commuting between Fender uh, in Nashville and Corona, and
3: mm-hmm. then
1: ultimately turned that down, which is a big soap opera. <laughs> I, I, we don't have enough time for that. next time and uh that wasn't a very popular thing for me to do but it it was the right thing for me to do and so uh you know for Mm. my family and everything so uh Mm -hmm. i stayed here and then uh then i had the opportunity with gibson in 2011 and then uh started there and i've been here ever since and since my first guitar was in gibson i
0: feel like i'm home it was meant to be amazing oh that's awesome yeah that's awesome and really quickly is this is this the the garth brooks is is that the guitar yeah yeah
1: that's it that's that prism thing
0: yeah if you get up up on it,
1: there's kind of a grid but then you see all these prismatic lines and stuff in there Mm -hmm. and then i did like a silver burst around the the seam around the rim And then, uh, hey, after this program, send me a copy of that. I'd like to have that. I don't have that photo.
0: Oh, you got it.
1: Yeah, thanks. Yeah, 21 of them. And those were like stocking stuffers for the band and uh, his staff. I think they were probably $2,500 guitars, you know, his cost, and we made 21 of them. And then I think the the real – Christmas presents were like BMWs that or Mercedes that year for everyone, and that was like the stocking stuffer. He's a very nice guy.
2: That's amazing.
1: The year before, he gave them all houses. <laughs> 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 yeah. Wow. I wish was part of that one. <laughs> well, yeah, so that was a real interesting project, and uh, yeah, you know, I like I like those kind of, you know. of the ordinary challenges you know
3: yeah i had i had no idea that you were at fender because that's kind of how i got my start was with all the people who work out of fender and fender custom shop and you mentioned dan smith and jason smith as a friend of mine his dad so i had no idea that's so cool
1: Yep. yeah so was it at this point i feel like i'm home and uh yeah. Like again, you know, my first guitar was that S G and you know, I'm here. So that's very cool.
3: That's so cool. Is there any other guitars that people would be surprised to know that you worked on? Like any specific projects?
1: Um Well, you know, a couple not not as far as like I, I'm sure there's design things, but like some of the cool things like that made not made many people may not know i worked on randy rhodes guitars uh two months before he passed away so uh being that i was in chicago and and bruce Boland was you know i didn't realize it at the time but you know ozzy's people reached out to gibson and said hey do you know anyone in the chicago area so he recommended me at the store so then i went to the rosemont horizon and worked on randy's polka dot v and uh Charvel and his les paul les paul just was set up and it was buzzy he wanted me to refread it but i couldn't do it overnight and then uh the polka dot V I, I worked on at the show and uh he was having trouble uh keeping the vibrato because this is before floyd roses so mm-hmm. i did this hidden knife edge which is later what paul reed smith did on his guitar so it was a hidden knife edge so what i did i took the six screws out of the floyd or not Floyd, but the Fender style. It was actually a brass like Mighty Might or whoever, aftermarket tremolo. And I took the screws out and I put them in a hand drill and I took a triangle file and filed a V-notch in two of them, you know, and put two of them back in on the outside by each E-string. And then I left the four out. That way it just pivots on those two. And I got that cue from Leo because Leo did that on G&Ls at that time. So I I took that concept and did that hidden knife edge, but Leo's wasn't hidden, but this was hidden just by default of those stock strat style screws. And then I deburred the base plate and the block and the saddles and all that stuff and filed the nut lubed it all and all that stuff. And he used it for the show and it stayed in tune. He used it on his solo at the end of the solo. He hit an a chord, And it was in perfect tune. It was awesome. Then he went into suicide solution and it was, it was great, man. I was in the clouds. It was fantastic. And then afterwards, he's like, you're taking my white Charvel home and doing the same thing to that. So I took it home and took it to the shop the next day. And I had to get back to him that afternoon, like at four or five in the afternoon because they were leaving. And so uh, I did the same thing, but I could only do so much because it has that hockey stick headstock. And with that extreme Mm -hmm. break angle, you can only hope for so much you know without a lock nut so uh, mm-hmm. but all the work you know he passed you know unfortunately two months after that and uh, all the guitars now when fender reissued them i think they did a reissue of his white jackson in 2010 somewhere around there 11 and they copied all the work i did and then um, for their reissue and then his guitars are still intact you know his family owns them Yes. So they're, they're still intact, you know, the polka dot and the, the white V are still intact with the work I did. So I'm very proud of that. And then, and I'm very proud that I've been, you know, great friends with Rudy Sarzo ever since. So 40 years or over 40 years later, in fact, happy birthday, Rudy. Happy today birthday. Is
2: Rudy. Yeah. yeah. Happy birthday. My brother.
1: It's his Aww. birthday today. <laughs> yeah. Got to give Rudy right. a shout out.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. I yeah. saw that online too. And, where where is that? He posted a photo I'm sure you saw that.
1: Yeah, I I saw one he posted this morning where he had the gray hair and beard and stuff.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there there he is now. That's there. it. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> Old man Rudy.
2: I'll
3: have yeah, to on. I'll just send you some of my uncle's pictures he photographed. Uh Ozzy with Randy and Rudy back in
1: 1981.
3: Oh, yeah. So, yeah. He's, oh, he's hey, gotta, another thing that's
1: came in Chicago, the show I did. So I had all access, you know, laminate pass and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I was working on the guitar and the dressing room and uh, it was a great experience. It really was being, you know, I was, I was only uh, 18. I graduated when I was 17. This was the following year. I was 18 working on Randy's guitars. Imagine that I'm 18, but he was he was only 24, 25, and oh. years later I was talking to Rudy about it, and I go, man, I was only 18, and you guys were letting me work on Randy Rhodes guitars. I mean, I was just a kid, and Rudy's like, we were all kids, <laughs> 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 we were, you know, but uh, but at that point I was wor- working at the store for three years, you know, and and I was serious into it, and and I look back on everything I did for Randy. I wouldn't change one thing. I'm, I'm very proud of what I did on those guitars. And they're, they stood the test of time, you know. So uh, so I'm very proud of that. Yeah.
2: Wow. So that was,
1: That's amazing. That, that one, And then uh, another one is Prince. One of Prince's, uh, when he was going as the artist formerly known as, and he had that squiggly looking, you know, symbol yes. guitar, uh-huh. or dollar sign or whatever it was. <laughs> he had a I guess he had a bad day one day and he took the guitar off at the end of a song and he threw it down and it busted into four pieces and so uh, it was actually one of Eddie's techs was teching for Prince at the time I believe so he sent it to me mm. at PV. so I, I spent literally a full week 40 hours reconstructing that guitar refinishing it doing the fret work you know because I had to overspray the entire guitar and so uh like so one I of those? it was the black one, so they're the one i I repaired so that uh the arm on the bottom, that long squiggly thing was broken broken into three pieces, and then uh I think the top part was also busted off too, so I glued that all together and then I drilled holes and and used carbon fiber rods to reinforce it so it wouldn't break and then I it was it was uh black with this heavy gold flake, like dune buggy kind of flake. So to do the, the repair and touch it up, I ended up going to an auto store and finding two different sizes of flake. And I if initially I tried fogging in that big flake, but it was hard to, to match it up right. So I got it the closest I could. And then I got some of that fine, finer flake. And then I stood back in the spray booth and just kind of fogged it over with that smaller flake and that just kind of blended it all together, and then you know I was able to buff it out and reassemble it, and it turned out it was very cool. So those are two kind of cool things that many may not know. And then another cool one oh was uh, I, here. I did this uh, clear lucite guitar for Lady Gaga, and uh,
2: yeah, I've seen our,
1: that. Yeah, so our artist relations uh, contact uh, Peter Leinheiser had this idea. Because he got this this Philips LED light strip uh, stuff, you know, at his house. And he thought it would be really cool and far out to put it in the guitar. So we talked about, you know, how that could be possible. So it it started out trying to get it done for the Super Bowl. And I couldn't get it done in time for that. And then it was the Grammys. And I was still trying to work it out. And then all of a sudden... Beyonce couldn't make Coachella. So Gaga got pulled into headline Coachella. So then I was able to have it done for that. And then I made a backup and then went out to Coachella. And I was on the stage while she was playing it for tech support in case something happened. So that was super exciting. And it was just a a crazy project because I had to figure out a way to inlay this light strip. And it was very cool because you could change the color with your cell phone. You have this app from Phillips. Yeah. So I'm in the guitar pit while she's playing, and the tech is changing the color of the guitar while she's playing it. And then they surprise me. One of the dancers runs over to the tech and he hands the dancer the phone. And then the dancer runs out and gives it to Lady Gaga. And then she, you know, after that song, she goes, Hey, everybody, let me show you what this guitar can do. I just got this guitar and she has the phone and she's changing the color, <laughs> telling the audience what it can do. Just to surprise me. So that was very cool. So I'm I'm very proud of that one. That was a great project. And to be there and experience it and witness it was pretty pretty heavy, you know. That was cool. And I have to say, you know, wow. uh she played the guitar on a song called Io. And it was very commendable. If you listen to the studio version of it, it's very different than what she does live. And and that seeing that show, her show at Coachella was just um, a real awakening, you know, because it made me realize the importance of guitar. I mean, I I know what the importance of guitar is, but when you hear her record, she makes a record and they produce it. So it's popular on the radio or streaming or whatever she's doing. Right. But
3: mm-hmm. when she's
1: playing a show, she's playing a rock show and her two guitar yeah. players, I'll put those two guitar players up with any, rock or heavy metal guitar player you want to put them up against they are fine guitar players and they're rocking yeah that's the guitar
0: that's the guitar yeah oh that's i want one of those (laughs) yeah that's awesome man and
1: so uh so her guitar players are fantastic and then uh and her tech even said she does the arrangements and kind of tells them you know the the arrangements to do but they're great guitar players and, and and super nice guys but she came out she played that and she arranged that song such as if you hear the and the studio cut is great but the version she did at Coachella it's as if Led Zeppelin played it you know the guitar parts that she was playing oh, wow. it's like something Jimmy Page would have played it was pretty cool yeah, yeah so amazing. i was i was you know kind of and then and then during the whole show her two guitar players are just rocking out i mean it was a heavy metal show for real i mean it was it was heavy
2: mm-hmm. it, it was
1: uh, it was rocking man and and that to me told me She's smart enough to know you make a record as a record should be. You know, it has to be produced to be relative for that point in time. But when you put on a rock show, people want to be entertained. When they see a show, they want loud screaming guitars and they want a rock show. And that's what she gave them. So that was Mm -hmm. cool. That was a great experience.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, so those those are three
1: cool out of the ordinary things, you know
0: yeah, yeah I love that. that's amazing yeah that's amazing I mean, yeah that like guitar that. looks cool man so just it changes colors like you, you change oh, and with then the another app cool
1: and- thing uh, it was it was 24 volt powered you know so that was a challenge so i mm-hmm. had uh, a good friend and co-worker who uh was a electrical engineer who came from crown and some other companies So as I'm working on this, he had this concept to do this voltage multiplying circuit. And so I was able to take two uh, 3.7-volt batteries, rechargeable, like people using vapes and those sort of things. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. used two of those batteries and was able to scale up the voltage to turn those two 3.7-volt batteries into 24 volts. And it had enough current to power this guitar. And then I made this battery pack that went on the strap you know, like a wireless would. And then I, I had the power wire fished through the strap and then it connected like in the back of the neck joint. And then the neck pickup on that guitar is really a dummy pickup. And it's, it's basically a Gibson humbucking cover with the circuitry for the light system inside that humbucking cover. And then the power goes into that pickup to power that whole system.
3: Oh no
1: way! Wow. Yeah, there and it there.
0: is, green. Yeah, there it is.
3: You're giving me it's ideas. Cool. And, and it really. I'm working so on like, an LED project, and I'm like, lights going off over here.
1: Lights take a little bit of, that, but when you see it where it's darker, it really lights up and glows. But either way, it looks yeah. cool, you know. And she dug it, and you know, it was a cool project, you know. So I was proud of that.
3: That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. I've I've seen you post about it before and yeah, so I knew about it. But I yeah. didn't know about that part. Yeah.
0: I didn't know about that. That's awesome. Yeah, that was that was one. It took,
1: you know, like I said, over a couple of months and uh probably I probably had eight out eighty hours in it. I mean it was there's a lot of time in that guitar.
0: And uh, mm-hmm. was so, yeah, it, it was just a, the one?
1: Was it just no, the I did, one I guitar? And uh, the second one was quicker, but the second one still probably took me, you know, a full week, you know, at work, you know, putting it together and doing all the electronics and all that stuff, even though I knew what to do, it was still very involved and and working with those lights, you had to kind of slice them and, and cut them. And it was very, and I I ruined a couple strands figuring out how to alter them to get them to fit in there. So it was... Uh, it was kind of tricky and that's where the challenges were with that
2: mm-hmm. but uh yeah it
1: was it was cool and then the funny part they flew me out there for tech support and uh and I didn't know it until afterwards when uh my friend peter informed me he said yeah you were out there for tech support but the irony is that if her main guitar that first one you gave her went down that second one wouldn't have worked because it would have had to have been paired with the phone that she was using so really i was just there for just to be there i guess <laughs> i couldn't have done anything you know been too late at that point but i was there and it was cool
0: wow wow yeah that that's kind of like i've got this thing back here called the guitar moir it's where i've got like a bunch of guitar bunch of my guitars live back here and i have oh, like yeah, a, yeah, a similar yeah. i have a, a similar type of thing where, where i can like do all the lights yeah, I can there change you go. All, yeah. I can change all the cut like I can do everything.
1: Is that Phillips you know? or who's is that?
0: Yeah, Phillips Hue.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I used. They're good. Yeah,
0: they're the the, uh, the um. I've got three of them. See, yeah, I've got three of them all in there, and I can actually it, we have it where I, I the channel gets donations to help support the channel, and any of those trigger that, and it automatically changes to whatever the the donation is. But I can also from here I can like do everything myself but i love these things yeah i I love these things what
2: i use the
1: phillips
0: hue to have that in a guitar that's that's amazing
1: yeah (laughs) yeah and that was in uh when was that 17 maybe 2017 give or take somewhere around then Mm -hmm. uh 16 or 17 it was it was man it was a great experience and coachella it was there was one hundred twenty thousand people there that year and uh I was never around that many people in my life. I've been to big concerts, you know, you know throughout my life. Yeah. And, and I'd follow the fence line because I was that scared. Like, I'm not going to get too deep in these people and, and get lost or not be able to get back. But I might get a 100 yards out. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going back. You know, it was, it was pretty intimidating. It was cool
0: yeah wow coachella dang uh well look at this we're we're over two hours and um time flies we we told you (laughs) well we had said the first four hours just flies by it's after that um but yeah i don't know amanda if you have any questions i know there's tons of questions in the chat here. We've got, there's so many things, but I mean, see, this is when I start feeling bad because Amanda and I, we're both in California, so it's only seven o'clock here, but I know it's later. It's later where you are.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm trying to look at some of the questions here to see if uh, I can catch anything. A lot of nice comments.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of, oh yeah. um, David Allen Wright is here or was here he was in the chat oh there he is david allen wright is here hey man hey david yeah yeah david's a great dude he's awesome
1: oh here i i have some of these questions that amanda had mm-hmm. so i'm just you, looking you at answered a
3: lot of them i i can.
1: Yeah, we, we, we touched off on a lot of them right
3: yeah um Here's one. What are some of your favorite artists that you've been able to build for?
1: Um, most recently, uh, I'm very proud. Uh, have I made a couple of the Ukraine half yellow, half blue guitars for Paul McCartney. And yeah. being a big Beatle fan, oh, and he's wow. my favorite. You know, he, He's actually... I know this is a Van Halen show, and I love Eddie. And I love Van Halen. <laughs> but Paul McCartney's my hero. He's my number oh. one. So... To make a guitar for him was a dream come true. And uh, I actually made him a few. I made a casino and a Les Paul. And the Les Paul just uh, was auctioned off for Ukraine support. He used it in a show and then signed it and, and auctioned it last, I believe last weekend. And I think it brought in like $76,800 or something like that. So that was very cool. And then the, uh, the casino, he decided he wanted to keep, which is very cool. And... uh big long story on that. Uh, I was out of town for work. And then when I, I got a call that I had to deliver these guitars to Paul in Knoxville. So Mm -hmm. I said, Well, I can do that. But I'm I'll be home tomorrow. And the way it played out, I went from the airport to our headquarters picked up the guitars because they had to be shipped back to me. Then I went on vacation in Georgia to a resort, I took the guitars with me and then cut my vacation short and drove up to Knoxville and gave him the guitars or gave his personal assistant the guitars he was on strict COVID lockdown. So uh, I, while I was on vacation, I, I took the casino and turned it upside down cause it was, you know, left-handed. And so then I had to learn Sergeant Pepper's upside down, the chords and the leads upside down and take a video just for myself. But I was very proud of that. And it's, it's like one of those, like one of those kind of things, learning how to play something upside down and backwards. So I, yeah. I learned how to play Sergeant Pepper and took a, a video and then uh showed his tech the video. I was very proud of it. You know, like you'll have to indulge me. I gotta show you this. So I did that. So I'm very proud that Paul decided to hang on to that guitar. So yeah, I was very proud of that. <laughs> that's that's a cool one. But I've done guitars for man, so many people. Uh, you know, Eddie and Randy, of course, and uh, you know, I've made some for Billy Gibbons, uh Harry Gibson, you know, Dave Mustaine and Rex Brown and uh and just countless, uh, Adam Jones. Uh, yeah, there's, there's so many of them. Uh, I need to, I need, I need to really make a list, you know, I, yeah. for all these years you would think I would have a list. I need to make a list. So, cause at some point I'm going to be even older and more forgetful and I need to have this documented. <laughs> hey,
2: but, I uh, yeah. A you know? <laughs> yeah.
1: Billy, Billy's a great guitar player and a great, great guy. Uh, uh, let's see uh man there's Steve Cropper, uh he was another fantastic one uh I got you know I I was able to do work for James Burton and Reggie young and uh, James Burton Reggie young and Scotty Moore so all three of Elvis's primary guitar players I did work for so that was cool you know I got to do work for them over the years uh who Um uh, I don't know. There's there's just too many. It's it's hard for me to... I guess I'm getting too old. I, <laughs> I've been doing this for 43 years now, so...
3: I have, I have Billy Gibbons' business card here, and it always cracks me up because it says oh, friend so of Eric Clapton. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's... Up that just shows you what a humble guy he really is. You know what I mean? It it truly is. I mean, it's a funny joke and it shows that he's a humble guy, you know, because he's respecting Eric like that. And, and Billy is, you know, an awesome guy, you know, he's an awesome guitar player and, you know, celebrity in his own, but it just shows you, you know, how nice and humble a guy he is. You know, I just saw him and Jeff Beck here in town, uh, at a venue, actually, the venue is like five minutes from my house. Uh, this new uh, First Bank Amphitheater—it's a fantastic venue—and and, uh, and uh, Billy and and uh, Jeff put on a fantastic show. It was incredible. It's the fifth time I saw Jeff, and the—I uh, think the second or third time I saw Billy. Yeah, it was great.
3: That's I I haven't seen you yet, but I live vicariously through my uncle who was a concert photographer. So he got to photograph and see, and see them back in, I think, 79.
1: So oh, I always yeah, like well, look
3: through all those photos. Yeah. And so oh, awesome.
1: All right. you'll, you'll appreciate this one. Here's another great story too. So when I I'm working on Randy's guitars, right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I had, I had the full access pass. I could go anywhere. Yeah. Except Ozzy and Sharon's dressing room. But you know, I stayed in the dressing room with Randy and the band oh, and uh, and then I could walk out on the stage or backstage or in anywhere in the audience I wanted to. So at a certain point in the show, I decided to walk out front and I walk, you know, basically right front center of the show, you know, the venue. And I felt like Bill and Ted's excellent at, or not Bill and Ted uh, Wayne's World, although yeah. this was <laughs> many years before Wayne's World. But you know how Wayne's World they're like you know, showing their backstage pass. Like yeah, oh, I have credentials. That So I did that and uh, I had my credentials. And so the ushers like, okay, you know, you can go there. So Ozzy does the thing where he picks up Randy by the leg, you know, and there's this picture, like on the cover of the tribute record. Yes. I didn't know. And I saw it happen. And then over the years, I see numerous pictures of that. But Rudy told me many years later that iconic picture on the cover of that tribute record mm-hmm. is the one from Chicago. And I was standing behind Paul Natkin, who took the picture. I was like eight feet behind him. And I'm like, come on, dude, out of my way. I'm trying to see, you know, but he got that picture right there and I was eight feet behind him. So that was pretty cool.
3: That's and that so is, cool. I
1: mean, that's just an iconic picture.
3: Yeah. Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I actually lived in Chicago, outside of Chicago, for about a year. Um, I, I was just working out in Chicago, so I'm very, very aware of like the whole, all the areas you're talking about. Even though I grew up in Michigan, I would yeah. just drive through Indiana all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so everything you're saying, I'm like, wow, I remember going there all the time.
1: It was a, it was a good place. I mean, it was uh, you know I grew up there and until I was 25 to go to PV. And, uh, you know, at that time, you saw so many shows, and, you know, it was was a great place to grow up. Uh, In fact, this leads into another one of your questions, you know. I saw a question, did I ever see, or when was the first time? Obviously, I saw Van Halen many times. But the very Mm -hmm. first time I saw him was uh, April 25th, 1980, on the uh, Women and Children First Tour. And that was at the Amphitheater in Chicago. So that was very cool.
3: My uncle photographed them the next day in Detroit and they played oh, two wow. Nights. So we photographed them on the 26th and the 27th. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll have to send you those. Yeah. That's very cool. Uh, yeah, so
1: that was the first time I saw them and then and then you know when I was working with them I I must have gone to probably 15-20 shows, you know, throughout, you know, the Balance and the Van Halen 3 tours and stuff. So, uh, yeah, it was cool, you know, and, and what was, what was really cool, what impressed me so much was, uh, how personable they all were. And, you know, I was there for work for Eddie, right. But Mm -hmm. him and Alex shared a dressing room and then Sammy and, you know, Michael shared a dressing room. Right. So I figured, you know, I'll be hanging with these guys. Those guys are probably not going to give me the time of day. That's not how it happened. Those guys were just so personable and so nice. Michael and, and Sammy were both, I mean, cannot say enough good about both of those guys. They'd, hey, Jim, how you doing? How's your flight in? How's the family? It's just super genuinely nice guys. Yeah, they didn't have to be. I mean, I would expect, especially Sammy being the lead singer and the front man and all that stuff, I figured he'd probably like, yeah, you know, not give me the time of day, but man, super, super nice guy. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> enough good about both of those guys yeah and I, I have to say too at that time during the balance and uh balance tour, they wouldn't sound check together, which is kind of odd. So Eddie and Michael and Alex and then fitz allen fitz uh Gerald oh keyboards He was night ranger the stage. Yeah, yeah he was on the stage playing keyboards. And so uh, that's another interesting thing. Not a lot of people know that, but he was actually the one playing all the keyboards, you know, even when Eddie would be pretending it would be Alan behind the stage. But, you know, you have to expect that because it's a big production, you know, and while Eddie does it on the record, you know, you couldn't expect him to do all that. But uh, so they would all sound soundcheck together. And I don't know why it went down like this. And then Sammy would be by himself. And he'd come out with an acoustic and sound check the acoustic and sing, and then pull out an electric and sound check and sing with the electric. And when he lets go on electric, and he, he ne- he's never done this, but he could be frontman singer and guitar player in a power trio and pull it off magnificently. He's an incredible guitar player. He really is. Mm-hmm. He just kind of, I don't know if he's too humble, or he just doesn't want the extra burden when he's fronting the band, but... He's that legit as a guitar player. He's really good.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in fact,
1: on all the old Montrose stuff, Bad Motor Scooter and Rock Candy and all those, he wrote the riffs and he actually placed the lap steel on Bad Motor Scooter and he did a lot of that stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He brought that back out on tour one year, the lap steel and used it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was Mm -hmm. was a great experience. And then with, with Sharon on the three tour, you know, I think, he got a bad rap you know you know how fans they can be you know just like we you know the Sam and Dave thing and then you add Gary to it and you know he just got torn up you know and and really you know you go back and listen to that Van Halen 3 record and it's really a good record you know uh but at the time you know it, it i guess wasn't well received just because it was a third person you know but it was it was cool
0: it was yeah. i i really i really consider that like Edwards like his solo album, you know, because yeah, he did cause a lot he of produced
1: it, and it was more his stuff. thing. And
0: did did you like? Did you build like special instruments or guitars for for him for for that record?
1: Well, I was still you, a, you you remember during that time. You know, I was making things. I made him three double necks, and he never took them out live. But I made him three double necks, and uh,
0: PV Wolfgang double necks.
1: Yeah, yep. Yeah. Two of yeah, them we were never, uh, never saw those. Two of them were baritone on top with a six string on the bottom. And then uh, one of them was a 12 string on top with a six string on the bottom. Yeah. Wow. And then the baritones had to be like, you know, because he liked the Dan Electro tic tac basses, you know, the six string basses. Yeah. You know, like short scale. So uh, he wanted it to sound like the Dan Electro tic tac bass, but he wanted it to sound like the Wolfgang guitar. So. The double neck was you know half hollow and half solid. So it would mm-hmm. sound like the Van Electro on that half and like the Van Halen on the bottom.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that was it was an interesting project.
2: Amazing. But yeah,
1: three of
0: them. Wow. That's cool. Wow. But did you guys get up. I'm sorry, did you get the G Butchnoff question? He did a Hey Jim, goto to Trems on the Pv Wolfgangs? Question mark?
1: No, those are pings. We use pings Pingwell is a, hmm. a Korean company that makes uh, a lot of hardware for a lot of different manufacturers. In mm-hmm. fact, they make you know Grover tuners that we all know and love. Grover tuners are made by Ping, and uh, they made the vibratos for PV and uh, uh, yeah, and the PV tuners for the other models. However, on the Van Halen, we went with the shallers, but uh, but our other hardware was all Ping. They're they're a big big hardware supplier in the industry.
0: Yeah, I've heard yeah. I used to work at a you ever heard of a, a, a shop called Subway Guitars in Berkeley?
1: Yeah, Fat Dog.
0: Fat I used to work there in the nineties, fat for Fat no Dog. And I used I used to throw weird guitars together and yeah, we used to Ping stuff and uh, talk yeah. about that Dan Electro stuff. That was the place he had all that stuff, man.
1: Is he still in business? Yeah. I need yep. to call him. Is he still still own it?
0: Yeah, I'll give you his phone number. Do that, he called do that. me. He called me about a year ago. He wanted to get together, so I'll give yeah, you his Yeah, I want
1: to talk to him again. I I met him uh, in eighty nine or ninety. I I have a friend. I'm I'm really a big passion of mine is pre war Delta blues, and so mm-hmm. uh, if Robert Johnson and Sunhouse and Charlie Patton yeah. and all that. So uh a blues researcher friend of mine, Gail Dean Wardlow, who wrote several books and, and the most recent, most definitive Robert Johnson biography, it's a great book. He took me to the dedication of the first Robert Johnson uh, tombstone uh, or monument and fat dog was there. So I met him there. So that was very cool. So we had a lot of good conversation at dinner and stuff. But yeah, I'd like to I'd like to meet up with him again. Wow. Or at least talk to
0: him. Oh, no. I'll give you his number, man. Yeah, he's, I, him and I, we're actually neighbors, believe it or not. He actually, I live in the, in Santa, well, Santa Cruz area. We both live in, in like, literally blocks away, and I never see him. But, but, uh, the shop up in Berkeley, did you ever visit his shop? No, I never. On Cedar Street in Berkeley?
1: But I do love the absurd, and I know he, he was a merchant in
0: that. (laughs) yeah the stuff
1: a lot of wacky builds and stuff like that you know i just thought it was fabulous
0: yeah a lot of crazy crazy stuff but yeah the Dan electro stuff dude i mean before the stuff was being reissued i mean back in the day like yeah the the what do you call it the masonite bodies or whatever like all that stuff
1: yeah i was a big fan of that stuff you know in, in the music store i grew up working at Anytime they would get any Dan Electro or Silvertone, you know, Dan Electro stuff in on trade, they just give it to me because they didn't want to stink up the store. They just thought it was garbage. <laughs> it was before they were cool, you know. And so I uh-huh. you know, probably have a dozen of those things, you know, that they just left for dead. Just, you know, I'll give it to Jim. He'll take it. So uh, they're cool, you know. They have oh, a lot of man. virtue. Even though they were budget guitars, they're still cool in their own way.
0: Mm hmm yeah mm-hmm. I, I know edward had a lot of that stuff too yeah like in some yeah. of the photos you see them like the silver tones and
1: and then randy's polka dot v carl sandoval sandoval uh made the body but he used a dan electro neck oh that's, that's that's what's on that and then he grafted some wood to have that like v kind of shaped headstock but that's a dan electro neck that's why if you look at the inlays they're bow ties like randy's motif but mm-hmm. if you look at the center of the bow tie, it's the stock white acrylic, and then the other part of the bow tie is mother of pearl.
0: Mm-hmm. Damn, oh wow! Good. Yeah, wow, that's amazing, yeah. man. Well, uh, any, any more questions? See, yep. Now I feel really bad because it's. I said uh, an hour, eh, two two hours tops. Number two, and a, half,
3: we'll ask, two uh, and a half. We'll ask one or two more questions. How about that? all right um, okay. The the, the <laughs> wrap up <laughs> what would you tell someone trying to get into the guitar industry
1: main thing it, it's hard i mean everyone has their own path you know and my path while it it i you know it's like again my 43rd year and and it's worked out for me but it was a difficult journey it wasn't you know easy it, it you know it, it's almost like trying to be a professional musician or a rock star you know it's 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 a long journey it's not an easy thing so you have to follow your passion and you have to want to do it and um it it has to be your life you know you just have to Hmm. commit to it and be into it that's that's the key thing if you want to do it um and, and it really you look at at all our you know heroes and and whether they're musicians or actors and actresses the people who who are successful like that are the people who just have that passion and just commit to doing it and sometimes mm-hmm. you're eating peanut butter and jelly or ramen and sometimes you're eating and or whatever you know fancy stuff you know i mean you just have that journey you just have to have the passion and commit to it that's the key yeah
3: yeah i absolutely so,
2: there you go
1: yeah
3: and then what's something you know now in your career that you wish you knew when you started?
1: Um, Well, one, you know, while we have our heroes and we, and I'm guilty, like everyone else, putting them up on a pedestal, uh, just realize they're all people, you know, just treat them like people, you know, if you treat them like people, they're, you know, they're going to be people back. Very cool. You know? If you put them up on a pedestal and treat them like that, then sometimes they feel uncomfortable or they'll they'll kind of react, you know. So just treat them like people, you know. That's that's one thing I've learned. And uh, oh, yeah, that's probably I don't know. There's not really any secrets or any nuggets that you know were like this revelation. You know, it's it's just been like I said, like a long journey. You just have to commit and uh, treat people how they want to be treated. And I do that at the factory, you know, like like for instance, today I gave uh, uh, Brad Paisley the tour, right? Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I met him, but I just pretended like I knew him. Obviously, I didn't. He, obviously, he knew we never met, but I just talked to him like anybody else. And he was a super nice guy, super personable. And And he got into, interesting story, he got into working on guitars, like refinishing, which is no easy task. But that was his big project during the pandemic, during the COVID shutdown, because he's cooped up at home and he had some guitars that he didn't like to finish on. And so he got. Yeah, there he is. So he uh, he got into refinishing his guitars and, and then uh, that's like his big passion. And so during the tour, he's like, you know, when we're in finishing and and prep and all that he's like well what kind of wood filler do you use and how do you sand that you know he was asking some really cool questions you know which really showed that he's he's serious about it and you know he has enough knowledge you know and experience you know so that was cool so yeah just treat people like that you know uh so that's that's about it yeah mm-hmm.
0: that's great yeah 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 we're all people yeah yeah everybody uh, my, uh, my dad always
3: taught me the same thing because he worked. Yeah, he started off in the entertainment industry, working at MTV, and so, with very, very young, he's like just treat all celebrities or anyone with a platform like you would treat yourself. And so yeah. that that's definitely been something I've carried with myself everywhere. You're yeah. touring
1: with our new leadership you know they they do the same thing you know now we have jc our ceo and cesar the president mm-hmm. those guys are like us we could just sit here and talk and talk and talk you don't feel like you're scared like oh no they're in that position i, I you know there's nothing like that i mean they're just people they treat you great you can talk yeah. and joke with them uh they have the same passion that we have because they're guitar players and, and, and they are like, like, I think I'm fanatic about guitars and I can't compete with Cesar. I mean, he's, he's, I mean, he's really got the passion and, uh, and, and, you know, he's, he's really learned a lot since he's been here. You know, a lot of things that he didn't really have to learn, but he's picked up a lot, uh, just because he's so interested. And so when you have leadership like that, uh, And they treat you like people and that's how you have to, you know, treat everyone else. And I I do everything. That's my outlook in the factory, too. You know, I look at it like uh, everyone's in a band when you're in the factory and everyone's playing a different instrument. And you could be your star sunburst painter or you could be uh, someone who maybe sands the guitar or maybe a buffer who buffs the guitar. You're all just as important. No one's more important than the other guy. Because if one of those things fail, the whole guitar fails. Yeah. So you, you treat it like a band.
3: That's everyone's what I love about band. Gibson. And that's what I've noticed through a lot of the marketing going on. And I have some friends who, over, who are over at Gibson Custom Shop right now. And they all have the same things to say. And everyone's really good friends. And everyone's just very sincere and kind. And um, I actually got to meet JC at a, there was like a, there's a store called Huber Breeze, which is- Oh yeah yeah yeah, 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 Paul. Yeah, yeah, and JC came out, and I got to meet him, and I was hanging out with him, and he's the nicest guy. Yeah. So nice, and yeah, yeah we we're just chatting, and yeah, you mm-hmm. can kind of see us r- right here. <laughs> it's hard to see, but yeah, yeah, we were yeah, hanging yeah. out. Yeah, like, where's my camera? But yeah, That's he was it. so nice. And so I got to talk with him and I was showing him my uncle's photos of Eddie with the Les Paul, but it's got both pickups in it. And he was like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. But everyone's
1: nice. Yeah. And that's the key thing, you know, and uh, that's, that's one thing I learned, you know, treat people how they, you know, treat them like people, you know, and they'll treat you like people back. You put them on a pedestal or if you're scared, then people kind of act weird, you know? So just treat them like you've always
0: known them and, you know, it'll work out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. Yes, I agree. That's great advice. You guys, this has been amazing. Jim DeCola, dude. Thank you so much. I mean, for for hanging out with us and we're not yeah. scared. So we're going to message you. <laughs> and uh, yeah. well, I, I got to well, give you Fat Dog's phone number and that good. picture of Garth Brooks anyway. So.
1: Yeah right.
2: Contact <laughs> contact info.
1: Yeah, I'll so send you that stuff. Cool, you know, it took a while, and and I'm sorry it took a long time to coordinate it and stuff like that, but I'm glad we finally got to do it, and you know I enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun.
0: Oh, awesome, yeah. awesome. Thank thank you so much. You guys, smash that thumbs up. If this is your first time here, subscribe to the channel. And Jim, like what? Like what? Do you have any pages you want people to know about? About any your, like a website or?
1: I, no, anything? I don't have a website, really. No, I don't. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm on Facebook and <laughs> buy a guitar. <laughs> I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, uh, hit me up there, or uh, I've done a lot of videos, like I said, for Gibson. You know, so you can check those out. But yeah, I don't have a website or anything like that.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Y- Yostinator, he's saying, uh, "When is the Epiphone Adam Jones being released?"
1: Honestly, I don't know. While uh, the Epiphone crew, Al, John, and Richard are uh, great, great friends of mine, and and we all meet a few times a week, when it comes time to the details and the calendar calendarization of you know releases and launches, uh, I can't keep track with all that stuff. We have a lot of our own projects and it's all i can do to try to pay attention to my stuff so i can't uh, sorry I, I i honestly don't know when that is yeah or if it mm-hmm. happened who knows <laughs> there's there's been times where things are already released by the <laughs> phone and it's like people are asking me about them like oh i didn't even know they got there yet you know
2: mm-hmm. so uh,
1: but i know i know they're, they're working on it uh, you know adam uh, has been a great partner with us and, and we did a lot of stuff with him uh, you know, at USA and custom. Uh, so, but yeah, as far as dates that I, I don't know. Yeah. He's a super nice guy. In fact, Cesar took a great picture of Adam and I peeking through the, the press that presses the ES tops and backs. And I was explaining to Adam and we were looking in between the press and Cesar was on the other side and snapped this great picture. So that was pretty cool. Oh, yeah, wow. It was a photo opportunity. But he's, he's a nice guy. There's, there's uh, a lot of these new guys. Mustaine, I mentioned him earlier. He's another one that's that's super, super nice. I know he has his reputation, you know, of being, you know, this rock star and, you know, hot blooded and all that kind of stuff. But man, mm-hmm. he's just a big teddy bear. He's just a super nice guy. And he lives like 10 minutes away from me down, down the street. Uh, super nice. I've been to his place like half a dozen times. And uh, yeah, super nice guy.
0: Oh, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. All right, well, Amanda, any, any last last uh, questions? or?
3: Um, or uh... Last question I'll ask you to leave out on this is from someone who's modding from home, like if they're working on guitars from home, like Eddie would, what would you recommend they either own or they do from home?
1: No, just get a set of tools like I have everything. (laughs) (laughs) No, really. I mean, I, I collect tools like I collect, you know, guitars or whatever, you know, I mean, or effects pedals or whatever. I mean, and you may use one of these tools, you know, once every two years and some tools may use every time you're in the shop. Uh, The basic tools, you know, it depends on the level of modification that you're going to be getting into. If it's uh, adjusting your guitar, you know, your basic, nut files and uh screwdrivers and, and hex wrenches and things to adjust your action and pickups and neck uh that sort of thing and filing your nuts and saddles things like that your basic setup tools and you can get that stuff from stewart mcdonald or music Nom- nomad places like that they're very very accessible now and a lot of guitar players at home have them uh, so basic setup tools like that are very important and then for electronics, just, you know, good quality soldering iron. Uh, I have a couple. I don't know if they're on camera. These old ones, uh, actually, this one here, I've had this Weller. <laughs> I'm proud of this Weller. I've had this same Weller from uh, soldering iron. It's a 60-watt Weller. I've had it since 1982. <laughs> And it blows my mind that it wow. still works.
2: I've gone Dang. through
1: dozens of other of the same model. But for some reason, this one's still rocking. But I've I've had dozens of other ones fail. But uh, good quality soldering. And that's old <laughs> school. Nowadays, you know, like at work, I have the soldering station that's, you know, digital and all that stuff. At home, I have this. And then I made, ah uh, oh, this is a funny one during the pandemic i have to unplug it during the pandemic i made uh i don't know if you could see this there you go so this is an effects box for my soldering irons (laughs) oh school school timer so you wind it up for how many minutes right and and you'll have power until this thing goes off. So it's kind of like that that timer that you have on an old uh, wash or old dryer, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I I got uh, the one the one fail I have with my soldering irons is that if I get forgetful I'll leave them on, and and that's not safe. You know, I mean I've had a couple times where I I've left them on and a couple days later I come out in the shop and they're still on, and that's not safe. So. Uh, I made that timer, so I'll put it on for however many minutes and I I work on it and then if time runs out, well then I'll just add more time. But if I walk away, it'll automatically turn off. So that's that's one thing I did because I know my own shortcomings. So it's because it's gonna tick for uh, 50 minutes until it's off. So but it saves my soldering irons and saves the shop in case it, you know, something would touch and get caught on fire. But for soldering, you know, good quality soldering iron or soldering station, uh, you know, good quality rosin solder. Uh, you know, I use like a 30 diameter solder for most stuff for guitar. For amplifiers, uh, you know, sometimes I'll use, you know, maybe 60 thousandths, you know, a heavier solder because uh, I do a lot of amp work too. And then, uh, you know, all your basic soldering, you know, uh, hemostats, you know, I, I have uh, a ton of hemostats. These things, for basic hand tools, I use these things all the time. Whether I'm soldering, or sometimes you're you're just putting an inlay in, or for delicate things for grabbing, these things are invaluable. So I have a bunch of hemostats that I use of various sizes, and some of them are curved, some of them are flat, some of them are longer. But uh, hemostats, Exacto knives, uh, you know, there's a lot of those little hand tools that are very very. Help, helpful and handy to have. So, you know, basic basic stuff you can get by. And if you check out my videos that I did for Gibson, you know, either the Instagram ones or the on the Gibson's YouTube website, uh I cover a lot of stuff. I'll I'll show how we set up action or set up a guitar at the factory, but I also throw in these MacGyver tech tips. So, I show ways if you don't have these tools, how you can get around that and use like a guitar pick for a, a you know action game or a dime or a nickel or whatever the case may be, so uh, so you know you can you can make it as complicated as you want or you know you can MacGyver your way through it.
3: I love yeah. the MacGyver techniques too. Hey. <laughs> yeah.
0: Here we go. I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw one of these into the chat. I, I found on the Gibson website or the Gibson uh, YouTube. There's like how to adjust the height of your guitar pickups that's oh yeah you did let's see i'm gonna throw one of those in here so you guys can you guys can check those out and then yostinator left a comment jim keep up the good work at gibson i love my new 70s flying v and explorer uh, and my antique natural flying v and explorer awesome yostinator is saying
1: all right thank you right on the seventies be oh. and Explorers pickups, suspicious. Might have done in the past.
0: Hmm. Huh. What?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll just leave it at that.
0: Oh. <laughs> wow. Well, hey. I don't know. Uh, let's so see. So, if you like
2: the sound, you might like the sound of those.
0: Wow. Let me see. Let's see. Okay. Well, I don't know. Are we? Are we good? Are we cool? Because I, I start. Yeah, I feel horrible. I know it's like it's almost <laughs> two in the morning where Jim is. No, I'm starting to feel a little bit. Well, it's not
3: that bad. After hearing the story where he was up for, what, four days?
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, man, those are some amazing stories, dude. And and just thank you so much. Where's my applause? Thank you. Thank you so much. And, and yeah, you'll have to come back. Yeah. You'll have to come back. And and we should definitely definitely keep in touch. Well, I mean, I've got you on Facebook and I mean, we have all each other on Facebook and stuff and
1: Do you do you keep copies of the comments or are you able to? Cuz if you did that, you might be able to you know, put together something else.
0: Sure? Oh yeah, yeah, it all gets burned into the into the video. So, okay. there's the comments and everything and and um and like I was saying earlier, this these the, these videos that we do, they're they're podcasts as well. So they're they're up on like Spotify and iHeart and uh, apple and like all that stuff
1: all right very cool so
0: well thank you and
1: and thanks everyone for watching and thanks for all the comments i had a great time
0: awesome thank you so much thank you jim and i just gotta say thank you to all our channel members here on johnny bean tv thank you again for all your continued support for this channel and these shows i will see you guys tomorrow night Saturday night. Um and uh yeah. Well hey, let's we can say goodbye off the air really quickly. Um but uh thank you everybody and uh Jim, thank you again, man. Absolutely, thank you, Johnny. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, yeah. All right, we'll be right back. Don't hang up, Jim. All right. Good night, everybody. Johnny Bean TV. Bye-bye.